There's never been a faster or easier way to start your weight loss journey than with PlushCare. PlushCare accepts most insurance plans and gives you online access to board-certified physicians who can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wigovi and ZepBound for those who qualify. Take charge of your health and speak with a board-certified physician about a weight loss plan that's right for you. Get started today at plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. plushcare.com slash weight loss. Hey there, it's Michelle Norris. I'm host of a podcast called Your Mama's Kitchen. When I travel, I'm usually looking for a way to find a taste of home when I'm not at home. And one of the things I love to do when I am at home is entertain. And Airbnb allows me to do that. When I was in California recently, I rented a house that had a great kitchen. And when we were sitting around the table, we're all thinking, we're in someone else's house. Someone could be in all of our homes as well. If you have a home, but you're not always at home, you have an Airbnb. Your home might be worth more than you think. Find out how much at airbnb.com slash host. I don't like blood and guts, But I love them when they're lengthily Welcome to Scream, the sequel, as it was originally called. My name is Matt Gorley. And I'm Paul Rust. Oh, I wish the title had stayed Scream, colon, the sequel. It's a brilliant title. Yeah, uh, not since Airplane 2, colon, the sequel. I never thought about that. Is that why they're like, we can't do it. Airplane already got there. They got to the moon first. Wait a minute. Were you, was this a, a, a legit thing you were saying, Gorley? It wasn't tongue most firmly in cheek? No, that was going to be the, the title of it. Just scream. Because there's so much talk about it being a sequel that it was going to be Scream calling the sequel. And not even Scream 2 the sequel, just Scream no. the sequel. That's and a, there were other options too, like Scream Again, Scream Louder, mm. but Scream the sequel. I loved it when I first read it last night, but now that you say it with Airplane, I was like, oh yeah. Oh, well, Scream the sequel is choice. I love that. And yeah. think about how if they had stayed with the title being Scary Movie in yeah. this like alternate world, it would be Scary Movie the sequel. Yeah. Then that would have been I was amazing. thinking more about the Scary Movie title too and how much I liked it, but then I was like, you go into a movie called Scary Movie, and then you know you're more in the parody or like satire side than horror, where Scream is still a pretty good, oh, gets you everything, you know? That's right. Scream is a better title because Scream is a sound you can make in fear or delight. Like, like, it, or, it, yeah, it's- or the throes of ecstasy. X rated <laughs> podcast, guys. Hey, it might be the cold of winter here in uh, across the nation. <laughs> <laughs> but it's hot here on these podcast mics. I mean, literally, oh. I put my hand on it like a burnt me. Burnt my Can you not tips. hear the egg frying on my microphone right now? <laughs> oh, Matt, maybe. Uh, 
uh, we should tell people about our podcast. Uh, I jumped right into it. Sorry if I interrupted a flow. No, that's a great idea. Take it away. Okay. Well, this is a podcast called With Ghostface and Rust. What? Oh, I'm already blowing it, Matt. This is why <laughs> this you is do my it all favorite the time. Part. No, I love it when you do it. Oh, gosh. <laughs> this is like the dream, the reoccurring dream I have where I'm like 10 years old <laughs> and I find myself behind the wheel of a car. And I, With little shoe wooden blocks on your feet. Yeah, which I, I believe your aunt really thought was a, a funny gag. That's right. And you'll dude. find all about that on the Patreon uh, January film commentary. Just a little teaser. Yeah, and just a little teaser to my introduction, because I'll, I'll probably get to the Patreon information, too. <laughs> oh, gosh. Now the pressure's really on. You're listening. <laughs> just so you know, also, all the podcast, professional podcast scouts, have cho- they told me they've chosen this episode to listen oh, to. Oh, no. Yeah. And this is also uh, our our uh, FYC uh, submission episode. It's Sweeps Week. It's Podcast Sweeps Week. <sighs> oh my god! This is the one also in submission for Library of Congress. So, I mean, I'm I'm convinced. I'm confident you got this. I just wanted you to know that all that's riding. That's on four. It. Yeah. That's four spinning plates. Your mother and father in law are listening. Yeah. Yeah, they uh uh and they've got notes. Uh oh, okay. <laughs> uh this is with Gorley and Russ, an easy listening horror movie podcast brought to you. Hmm. No, let's go hosted <laughs> by myself, Paul Rust, and my good friend Matt Gorley. It's great to be here, Paul. I couldn't have said it better myself. Woo! Um, you you know this uh Scream franchise has a lot of sort of a clever meta talk. Yeah, yeah. But my introduction was the very <laughs> basics. There was no cleverness. <laughs> it was just well. Let's see plate. what happens if you handle the Patreon info. Woo. Do you want to see? Do you want to try that out? Yeah. Here we go. Okay. Hey, and if you um like this podcast hey check out we got a patreon <laughs> patreon.com slash with gorley and rust and maybe you heard maybe you heard matt mention uh-oh look out there's a there's a commentary coming your way that's right indiana jones and the temple of doom uh we did a commentary for that film just uh a few days ago you can get that on our patreon we're going to ignore that i didn't uh i kind of like half swallowed some spit there and we'll continue. i didn't even notice and then uh we got we every month we do a commentary from uh for a, a thriller a horror a movie and then uh uh oh and then we also do a mailbag every every month it's it's a oh and don't even get me started about the discord oh yeah there's a whole I was saying there. that genuinely. I mean, I was saying everything genuinely, but I felt like the last part came off uh, ironic. How was that introduction? Just on a great scale. I was fantastic. I'm clapping. I hope <sighs> the listeners, no matter where you are, in a subway, in a grocery store, in a library, um, in a solemn funeral, just start clapping right now. Yeah. Um, if you are in a library, you can clap. Uh, just make sure uh, you don't disrupt a cotton-weary uh Oh, coming yeah, across, no uh, trying to trying to come face to face with Sid. Jeez, man, that man wants his media time. <laughs> he does. Yeah, he would be great doing the uh, introduction. Well, maybe we can get him. 
COVID, there's a lot of celebrities available for things in COVID. You know, they're just itching to get going. We could get Liev Schreiber on here. Schreiber? Schreiber? Avery Schreiber. I always get him mixed up. <laughs> One oh looks my like gosh, the terror I train killer. Avery Schreiber as Cotton Weary. Uh, I mean, he's already played the terror train killer. <laughs> or no, I'm thinking of Gene Shallot. <laughs> they're the same. Yeah, two peas. Two peas uh, in the same pod, though. They're, they're both friendly guys. Uh, so, uh, like we said, if you go to Patreon, you also, this month on the 28th, is the dropping of the first ever Slasher Draft, Project Red Light, with our listener and friend mm. Matt Fraction, Mark McConville. Check that out at patreon.com. Go to our, uh, just, I think it's with Gorley and Rust, uh, redbubble.com. You can get mm-hmm. some merchandise. And then the last bit of business, if you'll indulge me, is just to read a few more baby xenomorph names that may have gotten missed in the whole Patreon name sorting debacle. Oh, sure. Most certainly. Just to recap, if you are a baby xenomorph pledge level listener and you have had not had your name read, email us. And we will make sure it happens because Gorley and Rust are here to satisfy. Yeah, we we want to rectify situations. Uh, all right. First up, Caitlin Buckley. Thank you very much for the nice words about my daughter. Brittany Beagley. Ian Desher, who's a friend of the show and a brilliant author, uh, like the Shakespeare Star Wars books. Hey. Shout out to Ian. Yes. Uh, L.B. Bartholomew, what a wonderful name. Ooh. Oh, my gosh. L.B. Bartholomew, Lee Mundy, and James Albanese. So thank you, guys. Hey, thanks, guys. Um, and that's- Much appreciated. That's all the business. This is our last recording of the year. So not only is our business done, I'm also done with all my other work. This is the last little recording, and it's all you and me and Scream 2, and it's just what a way to go out. Oh, it, uh, it's nice to hear you say that because I remember the last class I had before our Christmas break in high school was an art class. And it mm. was the best way to end that day before going to Christmas because um, we were like painting and stuff. We were being creative, just like you and I right now. We're going to be creative in our conversations. That's right. Yeah. <laughs> Uh, Did I ever tell you the time that my art teacher in sixth grade, she was this kind of sweet, lovable, but very hippy-dippy teacher named Mrs. McCullough, McCulloch, and she goes, you know, studies show that children that are touched and shown love are much more creative than than those that are not touched and ignored. Anyway, go ahead and start painting. And she immediately came up to me, put her hands on my shoulders and went, Matt. Wonderful job. Wonderful job. So nice. Touching me, kind of caressing me in a non-sexual way. Uh-huh. And then walked over to Dan Ham at about a like four foot distance and just went, that's pretty good. And walked away like <laughs> she was conducting her own science experiment. <laughs> or maybe, uh, hey, maybe that dude wasn't deserving of some uh, <laughs> nice, uh, warm teacher. Yeah, that's... Uh, <laughs> That's funny. I wonder if that came out. Have you ever heard that thing like that's like a um, parents at bedtime? There was a maybe a certain era of this parenting where they would hold their kids tight for like 20 minutes each night. No. Like you embrace them tightly. Um, my wife and I don't do this and I'm not suggesting you. I, I just I remember hearing uh, maybe around the same time period. Maybe it was like touch. And oh. something em- well, embracing. Was that supposed to like help them sleep better or something? 
Uh, yeah, and I think it was a, uh, also a way to end the day with some sort of uh, connection oh, between security, parents. Yeah. Oh, yeah, security. Yeah. That's pretty good. Um, That's darn good. Yeah, I could see that. It's just, it's tough with educators. And yeah, yeah. <laughs> anyway, she went on to marry the PE teacher, but. Huh. Uh, Mr. Klepfer. Do you have any flash memories of some of the art that you made that came out of there? Not really. Or any art class? Well, I, I, yeah, high school art, but I was always doing art and drawing myself. So Mm. I feel like it was almost like art class was like work going like, Hey, I'm doing this anyway. I don't, I don't need to prove this for you. I don't need to do light and shadow exercises. Come on. (sighs) Matt. From your lips to my ears when I was at art class. I enjoyed like the time to be creative during school, but it was a little annoying to me that it was like uh, using chalk to p- make a flower. And I was just like, yeah. Yeah, let me do my thing. I know. Let me roll. <laughs> let me draw a mask for crying out loud. Matt Tracker. I think maybe it was that the media that or whatever that was, the stuff that she we were being allowed to use, I didn't get at home. So the fact that yeah. it was like being used in the service – like a ceramic pod instead of, yeah, designing like a Batman symbol. Yeah. Or like, I always remember we had to paint in gouache, which was really just black watercolor. And it was so boring and amorphous. And I I was always very detail oriented. And although I probably told this on the podcast, but my college art teacher told me I was seduced by the line. And that's when I quit my art major. What? Yeah, he he just said I was too seduced by the line, like I'm too much of an illustrator and not enough of a light and shadow. The Anyone that knows, been a subscriber of this for more than a year when I did those advent calendar drawings uh-huh. will know what I'm talking about. I'm really into like black and white pen and ink scribbles, you know, and drawings and illustrations, but that wasn't good enough for my art teacher who wanted. Oh, fuck him. I <laughs> I love your drawing and uh, I have a, a friend who I really love his illustrations and they're by no means similar, you two, but they're both like they adhere to a style that's like not going for shadow all the time. Yeah, like this sort yeah. of like emphasis on a specific technique. It's so dumb. That's why I said fuck him. It's annoying to yeah. me. <laughs> I hate that guy. Let's so you changed your major? Uh, not – I. Uh, I'm not saying purely at his feet, but like – I did in a way because of that because it felt like, oh, this is just kind of – I, I think I just wanted to be more of an illustrator and in, like in designer. Um, so I switched to the- theatrical set design. Oh yeah, yeah, yeah. And they were okay with you liking the line okay there. Are you kidding? They dressed up in little devil costumes and seduced me into doing more lines of cocaine. <laughs> Is that the secret behind all tech crews? Are they like they have a secret stash of cocaine that they <laughs> go to? <laughs> No, th- this tech crew is like the what's the opposite of cocaine? They were just like uh barbiturates or I don't know. <laughs> My first time and uh you know, we could start talking about Scream 2, but there is theater scenes in Scream 2. So I, think I this know, all, I, I was surprised. I was thinking of you your college theater days. I was like, Ooh. "Oh, yeah." My man and, is going to like pretty these. accurate for Greek drama too with the chorus and the the masks and the, yeah. the third eye. I think yeah. Wes Craven wanted to direct some Greek theater, Greek tragedy. Like you can tell yeah. that he, he's got a real love for it that comes out. 
Yeah. Um, but um, this is so funny that I'm going to say this now in contrast to that. But like um, <laughs> the first time, not only did I ever hear that this friend of mine uh, had sex. Oh. And it was the first time I had heard of anyone I knew my age having sex. Wow. And he told me this like is a hot podcast. He told me backstage while we were doing like a play that like uh like one of the characters was like supervious. It was like some dumb wacky like version of like castles and knights and uh, so dumb. <laughs> but uh <laughs> There was like a sword, uh, like we had swords, and I remember somebody pretending like they were like blowing the sword, and we all laughed, and it was kind of like somebody said, and it's so funny because none of us have gotten blowjobs, so we're uh-huh. just like, somebody was being self-aware enough to be like, that's funny that we're doing this even though we've never gotten one, Yeah, and then things kind of People went off, and then my friend was like, you know, I have, and I've had sex. I was like, what? <laughs> I love how he pulled you aside. Like, I, I didn't feel comfortable saying this to the group, but I, you're, the, you're the guy I want to know. Oh, and my God. My, I, my high school group of friends was the most sensitive group of young Aww. men on earth. It is Aww. so funny now in retrospect when I think about uh, what what was like so yeah it was like i'm sure my friend was like i don't want to seem like i'm bragging to the boys right now but also i think he probably was conscious of the girl the young woman he had slept with and that's very nice yeah. anyway oh. well how, well no look there's there's romance going on on stage in the uh in, the, in scream too on and off oh, stage yeah. so i mean so, let's get into yeah. it sure All right I said, you know, I'd seen Scream 1. I, I liked it. And I I thought maybe I've seen a sequel. I'm not sure. That's like 50-50 chance. Mm-hmm. I know I've not seen this movie. I loved watching it. Hey! I really enjoyed it. Yeah. Right on. I think it was because, you know, I like Scream and, and I had some, I think I was talking about the baggage I brought to it about the time I saw it. So I have no baggage with this movie. And I wish I could see Scream the first one with fresh eyes too, because it's just so fun to not care about anything but going along on the ride, you know? Yeah, that's awesome, man. Uh, and I, yeah, I heard you last time we talked, just in case anybody just jumped in on the Scream 2 talk, uh, previously on With Gorley and Us, <laughs> you said it well, where it was like, uh, hey, um, it was built up before I got to see it originally when it came out, and now the second time I'm coming back to see it it already has a online or movie culture lore that it's built up. And both times you had to kind of get through that. And that but stuff I felt is I was the a toughest hard thing on, on earth sometimes. I think I, I might've been a little hard on it. Um, um, no, but that no, reminds me yeah. your previous, could we do a pre- previously on with Corley and Rust yeah. and just throw out some sound bites that we think might've happened last episode. <laughs> yeah. Previously on with Corley and Rust. The ghost mask uh, or the ghost face mask isn't super scary. Jamie Kennedy won an Oscar? Yes, he did. Nev Campbell's freckles change from shot to shot. 
Matthew Lillard? I thought that was Jim Carrey. Wes Craven wasn't cameoing as Freddy. It was a Doonesbury character. <laughs> oh, boy. Oh, Liev Schreiber. I thought you said Avery Schreiber. Burr. Oh, that's good. Those are some good previously on. Yeah, pretty pretty solid. Would you so say Paul, they're previously's on or previously oh, ons? Like attorneys general. Yeah, let's go with previously's on. Good. Hi, we're gonna we're gonna roll through a series of previously's on with Gorley and Rust. What what's your history with this? I'm I'm willing to bet you saw this in the theater. Yeah, so first thing I wrote in my notes here. Saw this in theater like a fucking grown-up. Whoa. Yeah. So that first one, you know, uh, previously on, uh, mm-hmm. I, I saw it uh, with my family, watching it on a VHS cassette at home, and right. I loved it. Was floored by it. Seen nothing like it before. And can you believe it? I mean, it says something even just about how quickly rushed the sequel was to theaters. Within 12 months, there's a sequel in, 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 from December, December, a, a new movie? Under a year, right? Under a year. What? You're right. Technically, yeah. So Scream, uh, the first one comes out December 96. Five this, days before Christmas, I think. December 20th, 96. This one is December 12th, right? Wow. Uh, 97. Uh, or 10th, because it's a, a week before titanic comes out that's right i read that both titanic and uh tomorrow never dies moved their openings because they were afraid of going up against scream 2 because the first one was such a hit wow i mean that says something about the power of that scream movie that james cameron and the bond franchise is moving out of their way holy cow like you can't you can't move the titanic for an iceberg but scream (laughs) swerved the titanic <laughs> and how wild is it that they they do reference james cameron uh you, yeah you got a classroom of film students talking james cameron in a movie theater a week before titanic comes out like pre as close as you can go pre-titanic james cameron talk that's right and then after that hey that they'd be having an entirely different conversation that's right yeah uh oh but yeah I saw this in the theater was so stoked to see it because I loved yeah seeing the first one but this one felt different cuz it was with my friends uh in a movie theater on opening weekend mm-hmm. um and well, how fun was it seeing that opening movie theater scene oh, in a theater full of people all of it it was so cool I mean the obviously the the movie Scream 2 cranks up what the audience is doing. But because this was probably one of my first times, because this came before the South Park movie, this was the most raucous a movie theater had probably gotten that I'd been in. And (laughs) and it was just a fun ride because of that. I mean, it was a bunch of high school kids watching Scream 2 on Friday night. It was so cool. And uh, uh, and the the thing I was going to say was so electric – I have specific moments in the movie that I remember that are completely tied in with the audience's like response. 
Mm. Like, so like that moment when she goes like, did you get that on camera? And Joel, Gail says, did you get that on camera? And her camera guy, Joel goes, uh, yes, I got that on camera. Uh, the audience like went wild. Everybody laughed so hard. So anytime I watch that moment, I'm like, oh, I remember everybody laughing a lot. <laughs> and it could be just like it's relief because there's been suspense before it or something. I don't know. But it was, it was many other moments like that. I remember the the response. And then, yeah. And then for a while, I was like, hey, Scream 2 is better than the first. Mm. And then about 10 years ago when I... Uh, um. Uh, rewatched the first scream, eh, maybe more than that. Uh, who cares? But like, <laughs> <laughs> at some point, I rewatched Scream, and I was like, "Oh, this is like the things it was doing. It was doing first and fresher." Um, there will be a couple points in our discussion where I'll like underline like this is not as clever as something in Scream. Like yeah. Scream would have done something or the thing, the main thing that now when I watch Scream 2, which I still love, uh, but the, there's just some sloppiness in scenes that like, uh, like how things unfold. That particularly now, because I don't think I've watched Scream and Scream 2 so close together, that like the um, the story of the first one, just like every scene kind of like matters and it's like so juicy. And this one, like there's just, who am I kidding though? I love it. There's yeah. times where I love it as much as Scream. So I can't even go down this road of comparing <laughs> and contrasting. I'm with you though. I think Scream's a better film, but this one... Is fresher for me, so it's a little more exciting. But it does feel like it needed one more draft of the script. And I wonder how much of that is due to the fact that the script was leaked, so they changed the killers. Do you know that? Okay. So I just got to the bottom of this because this was what was like oh. bugging me when I'd watched Scream 2 would be I think even after we first watched it, because Entertainment Weekly or whatever would like reference, oh, they're they had to change killers. Uh I dread central interviewed Kevin Williamson on the 20th anniversary of scream two. So this was like 2017 and he nailed down what the confusion was. The draft that leaked online was it. And you might know this Gorley. So sorry. The fake if I'm, shooting draft. Yeah. Right? Yeah. Yeah. Sorry. I was scream explaining to you. Uh, <laughs> Uh, the Ringer just put out an oral history, I think, yesterday about Scream. Ooh. Uh, I'll have to check that one out. Hopefully, um, it's as good as the movie The Ringer. <laughs> uh, <laughs> uh, yeah, so, you, so yeah, right, right. They were worried that a script might leak. So the decoy script is the one that did get leaked. And it was always going to be Mickey is the pawn to Mrs. Loomis. Uh, Sounds like it. And yeah. actually, the the fake version is is a little bit of the same thing. It's just Derek and Hallie yeah. are still the underlings working for Mrs. Loomis. Now, I have to say, I'm not trying to toot my own horn here, but in Scream, I don't think you tell it's telegraphed who the killers are. 
This one, I figured out right away that it was Laurie Metcalf just because mm-hmm. her first scene, I'm like, you don't put Laurie Metcalf in this role unless there's something more to do. And it, it just, I was just like, I thought her motivation was going to be that she wanted to be like um, Gail Weathers and have her big mm-hmm. story. So she was manufacturing it. I didn't know she was going to be Loomis's mother, but I was very pretty much mm-hmm. certain. And I thought her lackey was Joel, the cameraman. I didn't know that it was mm-hmm. Mickey, Mickey or Mikey. I forget. Uh, Mickey. Mickey. I was, I was surprised by that. And I was even, I didn't even know Timothy Oliphant was in this movie. And there were a couple oh moments gosh. where I like, he'd show up and I'd go, Oliphant, David Warner would show up. Warner, Metcalf. It Eels. is quite, I love the cast. It is a great, yeah. these screen movies got, got good cast. Uh, Gourley, it like, so stoked to hear that you uh, responded to this in a way that wasn't cluttered by people's expectations they put on it and stuff. And uh, specifically with something like the Lori Metcalf sitch. Because yeah. when I was watching this, I thought, is this being... How can this not be so obvious? And I thought, I wish, uh, hey, I could have the eyes to see it. You have those eyes. And for you, it was obvious. Did you, do you remember when you saw it? Did you see that coming? Or, I mean, Laurie Metcalf wasn't as well known maybe then, but I don't know. Yeah, I remember being kind of, um, I didn't think she was like going to be revealed as the killer, but I did think something strange was happening with her character when I was watching it. And, and the fact that it was like aunt Jackie from Roseanne yeah. uh, had a, uh, actually honestly a huge appeal to it. And yeah, it does continue. They kind of, uh, they're casting these screen movies in the sort of like Pulp Fiction Miramax way of, mm. uh, casting TV actors against type or, film actors in a different way. Like you got Henry Winkler, the Fonz being like this, like malicious teacher or, or mean spirited teacher. I don't know what you'd put him. Scary teacher, principal, principal, I guess a stern principal, unlike Fonzie. Yeah. And then Courtney Cox TV star that, you know, is like not bright and cheery Monica, but like, Oh my God, her name sounds like a Gale Forest Storm, Gale Weathers. Yeah, Gale Weathers, yeah. Um, and then, yeah, with this one, uh, uh, um, having Lori Metcalf play like a, a psycho mom, I feel yeah. like is also like using your expectations of actors in a different yeah. way. There's um, so many But it, worked, it didn't work for you because you saw it and you were like, oh, that's she's too much of a... I mean, I wasn't sure, so there was still a little bit yeah of of waiting and i guess you know i because i've not been able to look at scream with fresh eyes it takes this one for me to to realize how much i know these are comedies and they're horror movies but more than anything they're just agatha christie who done it's modern agatha christies and so those yeah. are hard to pull off in any case um i can't imagine any version of this that would fully be satisfying i i think with the two scream movies the twist reveals of the killers have always been less of a whoa and more of a just mm-hmm. 
let's have some fun with the monologuing once they're exposed. And that part is so fun. Like I really liked the Timothy Oliphant thing and I I loved the twist on them waiting for Lori Metcalf to come back to life. And it's, it's Mickey behind them. That was great. That's all. Yeah. I, uh, uh, um, It is really uh, unexpected, like uh, a, a lot of the moves that it's uh, doing. Yeah. Yeah. Um, uh, and like, it's cool that you got to, yeah, the Mickey thing being a, a surprise still. And um, yeah, should, I mean, how do you want to jump well, into this? I mean, however you like it. I don't know if there's any more general thoughts or do you want to get into the meat of it? Um there's no new logo loco to say really. It's the same dimension films loco. Yeah, where did you oh, I watched this on Paramount Plus. Oh. And it had a a, a Miramax logo on oh, front, in the front. Mine had Dimension. I rented it on Apple TV. Um oh, so somewhere there was a yeah, a changeover. Oh, oh, oh. Matt, I know what I was going to say with uh when you were said it's like an old-fashioned who done it. Yeah. It's true that like when you said that, that like and they managed that's hard in any movie they pull it off. To think of these like screen movies as they're taking the best bits of like all genres and like putting them to like it's not my favorite stuff, but there is like a rom com element to the Dewey Gale stuff. Oh yeah. So if that's like your thing, you get some rom com stuff and then obviously there's scary stuff and funny stuff and uh uh, yeah, and then uh, yeah, and then the Who Done It thing is like what a gift in all of these movies that you get like a fun little. That's what I'm most excited about this Scream Five. I know because you know all four from if really after part one. I don't know Who Done It in yeah. each one. I don't know Who Done Three. I don't know Who Done Four or Five. There's so many Who Dones you haven't. It's <laughs> and you saw. Uh, did we talk about that awesome poster the for the new uh, Scream? That it it says, uh, uh, someone on this poster is the killer. Oh wow! No, I did not see what that. I don't. A great tagline. Yeah, that's pretty great. I haven't watched the trailer for some reason. I've just wanted to stay clear of everything for that movie. It seems in the promotion they're really embracing the whodunit stuff, and it partly mm. makes me wonder if uh, I'm like, oh, was Knives Out such a oh yeah a hit that that's like a or or was like a water cooler enough movie. That people go out and see something the first weekend if they think they I have bet. to. Or, yeah. Does okay, so Scream reinvented the genre, but it's been around long enough now where the genre's been revolutionized at least once. Do you think this new Scream or has part three or four done its own new revolution? Like, are we going to get basically another Scream, or is there going to be something? to the new theater like landscape and horror landscape that'll be part of this I wonder. Yeah, well you're just making me like think of with the time frame if we did a uh, was it 18 years from the first Halloween to Scream? Is that uh uh yeah, 78 yeah. to 96? Yeah. Um uh, these Scream movies now are coming close to like <laughs> double that amount of time so how are they gonna like start like re uh branding themselves or commenting on themselves is an interesting question i know 
without spoiling anything, it, it, four takes it on more than three. Mm. Uh, four does seem to be trying to like comment on what's happening in horror movies and how Scream Four fits into it. Okay, interesting. And, and I would say Scream Two, like I love all the sequel talk, um, but when the uh, when the last act of the movie, or I hate talking that way, uh, whatever the last like forty yeah. minutes, they just kind of like drop the sequel, even kind of the movie talk, hmm. like that. It's not right, and I I'll I'll say it. Hey, this can be in the general thoughts. They should have never killed Randy. I was going to say, and in fact, I the whole time when they did, I was like, this is fake. He's part of it. Is he the second killer? Is that fake blood? Yeah. I. I That's where I you have... and me are lockstep in our first viewing experiences. When I was watching it, I kept thinking, he's not dead. He can't be dead. And even though there was a lot of stabs before they showed his face, I was like, Okay, they never showed him on yeah. screen dead, so we're still in the clear. And then when the door got opened and he was bloody and still, uh, it, I was still in disbelief. I mean, I, I had just, to accept it in some way, but I, I, you know, I always go to like conspiratorial. Is the actor difficult on set when someone gets killed when it doesn't seem like it fits? Right. You know, and yeah, uh-huh. I will say I loved Jamie Kennedy in the first movie. He seems cockier and more self-aware in this movie as a performer. He's just doing like British accents for no reason. Uh, he's, yeah. he's way cooler looking. He's less geeky looking. In fact, in the beginning, they set it up for him to say like, what should happen is the geek should get the girl. And I thought for sure that's where this was heading. I didn't even know Jerry O'Connell was a love interest in this. And I thought this movie would end with Randy and Sydney together. But the more ah. it goes on, you are like, you're kind of a little annoyed by it. <laughs> I wonder if he just got like, we can't do another movie with Jamie Kennedy. I don't know. Who well, that you Uh-oh. have... No, I mean I'm not. No, no tea is spilled. It's, anybody can see this. He, Jamie Kennedy, who I think is a very talented actor and performer, no doubt, uh, and very um. Uh, hey, this word gets thrown around, but I want to praise the guy before I say anything that would would would. He there's moments where I think he's like really truly. Brilliant. Yeah. Um, he has this YouTube channel and he does a scene and I love it because I love the screen movies and I love him in the screen movies where he breaks down his performance while he's watching it. Oh. So he'll pause it and he'll go like, he says why he was doing the British voice. Why? Um, he said he had, it was, uh, like, Ultimately, he gets to a psychological reason, which is he's like, Randy doesn't want to accept what's happening right now. And so he's using voices as a way like, um, so there's real actor stuff there. But there's also, I think, him be like, I was just doing this British accent. I don't know what I was like. uh, I mean, he starts cracking up when he does the British accent. He's like, what is that? (laughs) So, look, I, I only bring that up to be like. If you're wondering conspiratorial thoughts, not many actors would 
watch their own scenes and laugh at them. And then also like put that broadcast. That's fine. I love that he's doing his own thing. But I, if, if you're thinking thoughts about what, you know. Yeah. I have to wonder, cause I don't think it's just, uh, Kennedy fatigue of an audience is the reason why we don't yeah. see much of Jamie Kennedy anymore, you know? Yeah, he gets into it. If you watch those videos, he talks about like why uh, the mask uh, to the son of mask, how he got seduced by it and how it failed. Like uh, there's, I mean, certainly, uh, hey, as Robert Evans says, uh, Evans says, Evans says, there's uh, uh, two sides to every story. The truth, hey, and mine. So you get Jamie Kennedy's mine side of the story but um god bless it yeah uh did you ever look at when robert evans had uh, an auction online and they put up all of his stuff yeah I amazing did. i know same like the Burt framed Reynolds. correspondence and oh just, yeah or cufflinks that are yeah with his initials the son of mask mask uh, he it was like rosebud it was like the sled to him he sought out the mask mask son of mask mask and i went to that kid and i said i'll give just name your price matt what holy cow just dropping a great evans even with the raspy voice and coke nose like together in combination that was good thank you now that you say that i don't think i could repeat it just don't ask for Michael Caine. We know from past history on this podcast, for some reason, that's my blind spot. I was like, oh, come on, honey. It's okay. A lot of guys can't do Michael Caine impressions right on the spot. This has never happened like this before. Oh. I mean, this has never happened like this before. Oh, God. <laughs> um, should we take a quick little stream? Break? Yes, a stream two, oh, T O O, yeah. a stream two. Okay, not oh. ooh, no, no. We can't do T W O. It has to be T O O. Yeah, it has yeah, to. Yeah, yeah, yeah. You don't want to stream the number two. <laughs> that would be painful and take a while. Yeah, no, thank you. Like a sausage extruder. What? We'll what? be right back. With Polly and Ryan. Ryan Reynolds here from Mint Mobile. With the price of just about everything going up during inflation, we thought we'd bring our prices down. So to help us, we brought in a reverse auctioneer, which is apparently a thing. Mint Mobile Unlimited Premium Wireless. How to get 30, 30, to get 30, to get 20, 20, 20, to get 20, 20, to get 15, 15, 15, 15, just 15 bucks a month? So Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows full terms at mintmobile.com. I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me, because you didn't use LinkedIn Jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates, like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com people today. With and rest. Normally, I scream uh, when when we come back. So, ironically, I'm not screaming right now. 
Me either. <sighs> I'm, I'm stage whisper screaming. Yeah, which is um, previously's on. <laughs> That's right. We discussed the volume uh, level of yeah. a stage whisper. Uh, well, let's get into the opening of this movie because yes, uh, I, I I didn't get to watch this with Amanda. I have mentioned on this podcast recently that it's really tough to watch a full movie right now because of the newborn situation and um luckily with this one i got to watch it it was a sunday morning i had headphones on so i really got to just sink into this movie i think you know like also when i watched the first scream i had to watch it in two parts so your situation always affects it and it was such a pleasant watching experience with this and then amanda came in right when the scene was on and was like this this scared the hell out of me this scene." and uh I, yeah, it was really fun to watch this whole thing unfold. Yeah, um, my wife, Leslie, and I, we love the Scream movies like so much. And when one's on, we got to watch one and we talk about it. And like uh, um, last night uh, when I was watching Scream 2, um, she put a, a fire on oh. and I was watching scream two with a fire oh, and come on. Leslie has seen scream two enough that she doesn't like have to sit and watch. So she, and she wants to be where the fire is that she put on, of course, <laughs> uh, like she deserves to sit by that fire. Uh, <laughs> I'm like the dope who just like watches her start the fire. But um, so she laid on the couch and listened to a book on tape, a uh, tape, an audio book, uh, as I watched uh, Scream 2, it was very cozy. Oh, that's so great. And uh, also, like, peeking over if, like, there was a good moment. Like, yeah. Leslie could also engage and watch yeah. something, which is also a fun fun way to watch it. My favorite part about this whole opening is just this movie crowd as a character. So, anytime Holy that, God. like, Ghostface in the movie would kill someone all the people in the audience, the ghost face people would just stab like, yeah, yeah, yeah. They're all standing up light, full lights on in the theater, <laughs> this chaotic group of people. It was so funny. Yeah. And also can we like, uh, break down like this fan enthusiasm for this m- <laughs> unprecedented movie like this is an opening weekend of a thing they've I guess they've only seen a trailer for. And if they're there for other reasons, it's because it was based in true life. I like, know that's what's crazy. When you think about it, this is not a franchise yet. This is the first movie based on actual murder. So like what would be the analog to that for us of like maybe like uh The Amityville, that's not necessarily we we weren't going to movies when this came out, but the Amityville horror, but that's like a ghost story based on some murders. It's not based on the, I'm trying to think if even there wasn't a movie yet, but like, what's a set of murders that we could point to? Like, I can't, what's the Amanda Knox story. I can't remember what that there's is. just, that's partly, you can't quibble with this. Cause this is like the most fantastic opening of a sequel ever. Yeah. It's yeah. so great. No, it's uh, just fun to break down. But to fit with it more, it would have to be like Stab 2 that yes. they're going to. And I, I think it would also kind of make it work on a meta level a little bit more. The time frame gets a little iffy, of course. I guess it'd be more like if the Night Stalker had a movie that had been turned into him wearing a mask and or like the Golden State Killer 
But there's that's the thing. There's been no popcorn movie that's been based on real. So I know that's from what I'm the get go. It's already like yeah. But imagine very... going to a movie about the oh, Golden State oh, yes, Killer yes, yes. and everybody's because what did he wear? Like I think he wore like a balaclava maybe i forget like a ski mask yes so they hand those costumes out and everybody's in there just yeah yeah holding like ropes and (laughs) and duct tape or the btk killer yeah and they've just got ropes and duct tape and they're screaming and standing up and it's like a date night and everybody's celebrating this thing they're all dressed like um uh it was for the btk wasn't he like a us uh uh he set up home security systems for uh, yes, I think so. So if everybody was dressed like a home security person, <laughs> <laughs> holding duct tape and rope. Uh, yeah, uh, it is. There's only one person in the movie who kind of like raises like, no, this is kind of weird. This is based on a real thing. Yeah. Uh, um but I wish, uh, I wish that character would shut up and let me enjoy my murder. <laughs> the only thing that really gave me anxiety is just this many people going in and out of a movie. Where I was like, "You just going to get popcorn and drinks during the opening of the movie into the bathroom right away? Don't don't you want to see this movie?" <gasps> oh yeah, what are the people who are leaving during the credits? What planet? Did you just come from? And why are you going to a movie as soon as you're on Earth? I also love the two ushers in the side conversation where one just goes, the, tonight's sold out. And the other usher goes, oh, cool. <laughs> <laughs> oh, they love the people they work for, their success. Yeah. Hey, we're um, sold out. <laughs> oh, cool. And then another thing I love is that when she's coming back in with a large drink, you can see liquid in the cup, and man, I love it when they put liquid in actual cups. And you see, maybe it was water, probably wasn't even soda, but still. Well, they go th- for the effort because how I'm not saying everybody has to be uh, Daniel Day Lewis with their beverages, but holy cow, when somebody walks into a scene and they're holding an empty cup, it's so obvious. Their hand, the, the weight. Yeah, we've all you seen can't fake it. Yeah, we've all seen Gravity and how it works with cups and people's hands. <laughs> yeah, we've seen the movie Gravity. <laughs> And we know what it's like to have a fake cup out in space. <laughs> also, what, wh- wh- why? Like some prop person is worried about things spilling? I guess. But put, put like plaster in there and let it harden or something. Yeah, put some jello in there. Yeah. People, can wake up. <laughs> Sheeple. Oh, my God. Oh, but I did love the the audience in this was just killing me. Yeah. No pun intended. Oh, just, my God. yeah, they're <laughs> how wild they are and uh, uh, running up and down the aisle. It's more like the end of Rocky or something, or like the opening of Phantom Menace with all the lightsabers because they have their glow knives too. They've been given. Yes, the uh, the studio is handing out masks and fake knives. I read on that oral history on the ringer. I didn't realize this, that when they were choosing the ghost face mask, they found that mask in one of the houses they were shooting in, like the the teenage boys room that lived there or like he didn't live there anymore, but his parents kept this room. They found that mask and used it. And then 
went through a whole bunch of other permutations for the mask because the studio was like, no, we want to own the mask. This is big. And they, nobody liked it. And Wes Craven went, I just, I got to have this mask. And so wow. I guess the ghost face mask is more of a toy license than it was a studio owned thing or something. I'm not really sure. How uh, serendipitous that that kid had that mask. What if he had had a Chewbacca mask in there? Uh, that would be great. A Chewbacca mask serial killer. But that one that like the Chewbacca mom had. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> oh, Chewbacca mom. We love you. Mm. Oh, we hope. I wonder if Chewbacca mom ever met Bean Dad. Oh, or Balloon Boy. You could have a whole family. <laughs> uh, so what was interesting is that you've got this guy doing the scream voice in the stab movie, but also in real life in this movie. And yet we never see another voice transformer for Mickey or oh. um, Mrs. Loomis. You're right. Mickey doesn't ever hold one up and go, what's up doc or whatever. <laughs> yeah. And there's a point even where she turns around uh, in the sorority house. Uh, Sydney comes back to the sorority house and she hears his voice in the room. It's not on the phone. And she turns yes. around and he's by the door. And that means he talked that way. Uh, so I was like, is it shoved in his mask next to his mouth? <laughs> or he's just a really good impersonator. I mean, I wouldn't put it past Mickey, but I, you know, going back to your like first point, like for a thing that happened in life with zero survivors to share the story, they're getting yeah. pretty close to this phone conversation. <laughs> oh, I know. Same with when they in stab when they do the scene between Billy and Sydney in the school hallway. Yes. That no one else was there for, and they were able to pretty much nail it word for word. Right. Uh, that is so, I, it's brilliant that I didn't ever think about that. <laughs> it's brilliant of the movie to like be yeah. able to pull that off. And I thought it was also like, I was like, that is very clever how they got the exposition in that Billy's mom had run away in that scene. And it goes by oh, yeah. without them ever having to have to say it in the real world of the movie. Because then you would be like, oh, yeah, Billy's mom. So they in that scene, he goes, right. your mom died. And she's like, your mom ran away. My mom died. It's different. I mean, it's funny because it is a lie. You're right. Nobody else heard. So No, I didn't put that together. And you know what? The whole time, too, I was thinking her revenge was based on just on the death of her son, but it was also Sydney's mother that wooed her husband away, right? Uh, yes. Um, okay. And so, yeah, when I was thinking about that little interweaving there, I also thought like, oh, Cotton um, is also like, no, no, no. It's more Sydney's dad would have a grudge to share with um with Billy's mom. Yeah, but Sydney should have a grudge with Cotton, not just for all this murder stuff, but, you know, he was exonerated for the rape and murder, but he still broke up the marriage of 
her parents. Oh, right. right. Yeah. Or no. I mean, I don't know about the marriage, but got her killed. Yeah. No. His consequences, like, of him, yeah, cheating with her mom, like, uh, she, she doesn't, yeah. She just, yeah, what he's asking to be owed with a Diane Sawyer interview. I'd be like, hey, man, we're all in this situation yeah. a little bit because of choo choo. <laughs> Wait, do I have this wrong? So Sydney's mom did break up the Loomises, but did she have an affair with Cotton, or was that part of the misunderstanding? Um, she was having an affair with Cotton and also Billy's dad, and this okay, added so to her right. reputation. Yeah. Wow. Yeah. <laughs> okay. This is. I forget what their last name. Uh, is, Prescott. Prescott. Mrs. Prescott. You've got a lovely dauber. Dauber from Coach. <laughs> um, yeah, and uh, so yeah, the the beginning of the scene, like it's more, it's more like the filmmakers of Stab have seen Scream and are making Scream. Yes, yeah. exactly. And it yeah. does do interesting things in the movie where. Partly, like, what's cool about the screen movies. Like, you can be commenting on stuff and then still get pulled into suspense somehow. Like, the fact that they make um, uh, Heather Graham's dialogue a little corny, mm-hmm. cornier. Yeah. Um, I mean... And and uh, Luke Wilson, too. Yes, that's very funny. Yeah. Uh, his, I mean, that's where it comes closest to spoofing, just outright spoofing the first movie because they're like, oh, they're taking a dump on Skeet Ulrich of it here. Absolutely. And you put Tori Spelling in there because they kind of referenced her in the first movie too. Yeah, Cindy says, uh, if, my luck, if they made a movie about this, Tori Spelling would play me. So it's, it's a yeah. funny payoff. Yeah. Yeah. Um, uh, <laughs> Yeah, so this oh, and this movie theater is um, at the Vista. I thought I recognized it. Yeah, the outside it of it is the like... Rialto in Pasadena. Okay. Oh, that's right. Uh, I know it also right from on... the player. Yeah, and it's something else to uh, forget. Okay, wow. That was the theater where I went to a midnight screening of Teen Wolf, and when he appeared on the street that the theater's on, everybody cheered. <laughs> Oh, that's because so he's great. also riding a van on top of a van when you when it happens. Uh, so what what better way? The Rialto, like almost all good theaters, has gone the way of a church. Unfortunately, I wish that would come back as a theater. Yeah, um, so interesting, um, Matt, because I've often said cinema is my church. Wow. Uh, well, I've often said Christianity is my theater. <laughs> Oh, I've thought sometimes before, uh, you know, I was an altar boy. There were times where I'm like, in in a good way, in in a way that was like memorable, before mass prep was a lot like before the show. (laughs) (laughs) You're doing warm-up exercises. Yeah, we do, me, the altar boy, the priest would do zip zaps up. (laughs) But you're preparing stuff, you're kind of having conversations. Okay, so when I go out there, you're going to do this. Yeah, 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 okay. Yeah. Got it, got it, got it. Send it around. Hold hands. Send it around. Send it around. Oh. Supposes his toeses are roses. I forgot about send it around. Oh, no. That's a... Sorry, I don't want to flash you back (laughs) to church or theater. They're both 
can be a little post-traumatic stress disordering. Yeah. Oh my God. I wouldn't want to go to, even though I learned a lot in both places, <laughs> to go to a daily church service or a daily college acting class oh, would no, be my God, no. uh, eternal nightmare. I, I don't know what would be worse, to be honest. I really don't. Well, speaking of co- college class, I, I, I'm dying to talk about this film class that they oh yes in the next scene. yeah um so yeah uh real quick then with this opening uh any other thought yeah so it's a rialto theater outside vista theater inside and the vista um opposite to other theaters it got a uh, recently purchased by quentin tarantino and he he's That's gonna right. own the vista and program it i think as a repertory theater and also uh, or maybe just purely a repertory theater. I don't know. That's great. Stoked. The only thing I would say about this scene is, I wonder if it would have been stronger if you don't see Phil's death, Omar Epps, because you know the person coming in is the killer. Not that you wouldn't if he didn't show up and he's just not talking. Like You would have a sense of it, but I feel like it would- It'd make it way creepier. It would, yeah, and it would also- because they're going for the same effect in this movie where you have a, a known person who's going to be killed up front. Because, right, she was known at yep. the time. Yeah, right? that's what they're yeah. going for, yeah. And I was like, wow, they're going to pull it off because they'll never do it again. And they do so successfully. But if you didn't know that him coming back was the killer, I think it would still be a bit of a shock. And then you can cut back to Phil dead on the floor or something like that. You know? I like that idea because it'd also be um – It'd keep the suspense, but it'd add a little, like, creepitude to it. Yeah, a little, like, yeah, yeah, yeah. Or just make it more uh, terrifying, because you wouldn't yeah. know the... Yeah. Um, yeah, I mean, although that um, bathroom kill of Omar Epps is spectacular. It's really good. I know. Oh, it's, yeah, Matt, that, it'd be a tough call. That reminds me. Did you hear the little... I never fully heard the voice... That's in, going on in the stall that he puts his ear to hear. We're the munchies. <laughs> it's just we're the munchies on a loop for twenty two <laughs> no, seconds. I heard something mumbling, but I didn't catch what it was. I f- went up to the speaker that was playing that specific channel with the voice. Yeah, and I recorded on my phone here. I'm going to play it for you. Oh, exciting! This is not wow. a, a bit or a gag or one media. It's um, but it is. Creepy. Isn't that creepy? Is is that Laurie Metcalf like doing the voice of her son? Yes, I think that's what it is. Like a psycho kind of thing, a reverse psycho. Yes, and uh, also Mrs. Voorhees when she goes, kill her, mommy, oh. kill her. Oh my God. And you get that shower shot in the opening of Stab that is the direct homage to Psycho of the shower head from underneath the shower. Oh yeah, I love too. It also seemed just like a commentary on the um, Hollywood vacation of this, like- yeah. Oh, if they did do a version of the Woodsboro Killer murders, it would be 
opening with like a a girl getting naked to go in a shower. Whoa, that little soundbite's amazing. I yeah, it's uh you the things I heard too when I listened to it is you hear somebody say Billy. Uh-huh. And uh I think it's something like mommy. It's weird because if it's Billy talking, it must be him say, talking in the third person, but somebody does say Billy. It's creepy. Yeah. So that that leads us to believe that the mom is doing this killing. Okay, so when I paused the movie and I rewound it and I listened to it and I did think like that might honestly be Laurie Metcalf doing that voice. Yeah, that's that's kind of what I was getting from it. So too. then I thought exactly what you thought. I was like, then I guess she's the person in the stall here. And when she came out of the stall, I did think the figure is more uh, like Laurie Metcalf's than Timothy Oliphant's. Interesting. Because um, there's a few in the movie that you know she like she kills Randy. Because she mentions it, I think. And apparently also you can see a lipstick print on his hand if you look closely or something like that. Whoa! Now, that's what I read. I don't know if that's just someone interpreting a blood splat that way or not. Ooh. I don't know. But. Oh, we got to recheck that out. That's cool. Uh, yeah, so then I guess she could be the person who comes in and sits down next to Jada Pinkett. Yeah, unless they're already both working together and are true separate in their true. Yeah, yeah. Who knows? Because there is a part where the early on, and I like this about the movie that they indicated it is a two person setup, so you wouldn't feel like oh, they're just regurgitating it. You get to feel like oh, I was ahead of the curve. I noticed that it was two people. It was like um, yeah, when uh, the conversation with Cece, Sarah Michelle Geller's character. There's a point where. She's talking to the voice is talking to her while that body's moving behind her. And there's that person isn't holding a phone or anything. So you have to go, oh, there must be a second person because that person's clearly not talking to her right now. Right. And there's also, oh, is it Randy? I forget who says, like, and this killer, he or she or they. He he says that? Yeah. Oh. Someone does. I forget who, but someone does. Uh, yeah. Well, it was funny then reading about those like leaks. Or maybe it was Dewey, I think. Um, oh, yeah. I just, uh, I didn't uh, hear that. That's cool. Um, uh, right now, when you said, or, or she, one of the leaked decoy scripts um, had Haley, uh, Sydney's dormate character be one of yeah. the killers uh and uh, and derek yeah so that could have also been a a he and she uh duo and killer they. situation um yeah yeah the um it's interesting to think about yeah who, and, and that i do like the ending of that sequence to jada pinkett um standing in front of the screen and the audience's response is like uh pretty creepy because it's not yeah. like people start screaming in terror it's like they're kind of confused by what's happening it's like ruining the fun or something yeah 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 they're like what are we what are we doing here what are we in for um did uh also that in the bathroom it's the same bathroom at the vista but oh, really? they added some cool like wallpaper uh, <laughs> so it would fit 
uh, with the Rialto, I think. Uh, uh. And uh, I was like, I wish that wallpaper was there in real life. Also, I think they added two stalls, and there's only one stall there. I was like, I wish the Vista had two stalls. <laughs> <laughs> I've been waiting to get in, and the movie's going on. <laughs> Uh, Miss Meet Joe Black. I love the Vista, though. I've seen many movies there, and they pull out every other row, so you got you can oh, stretch out your legs, that's and right, you can get yeah. up and go to the bathroom without feeling like you're hurting. Maybe that's why people were getting up and moving during the credits. Like, hey, I can do this without <laughs> making people uncomfortable. I can stand up and dance in a Grim Reaper costume, <laughs> Father Death. <laughs> Oh, one other thing about this opening, um, as you pointed out when we discussed Scream, there's a serious lack of black uh, characters in Scream. In the first one, yeah. And so uh, this, um, I have to imagine that criticism existed when the movie came out. And, uh, uh, you know, a bit of a corrective here in the beginning, having two black characters discuss how horror movies misrepresent black characters. Yeah. Yeah. It's not only that they got more black actors, but actually used it as part of the meta aspect of it. Yeah. And then having Haley as, uh, Sydney's doormate and Joel, um, like those were black characters that existed now in screen movies that didn't before it, it, watching that first one, it is. Yeah. Very notable. Yeah. Um, but, uh, yeah, so uh also I when they were walking by the movie poster font is that like that's not necessarily this I, we had font talk last week <laughs> and how like the opening credits in the first scream didn't match the promotional but I feel like yeah. stabs doesn't necessarily emulate screams right like the it, it looks more it like, like um the font for like that movie Jade. Oh, <laughs> it's kind of like long, yeah. thin letters and stuff, not like block screen. Yeah. No, I think it's its own thing. Yeah. But did you notice the ugly nineties broken typewriter font reared its ugly head again at the end in the end credits? Oh, when? Oh no. Oh, I, that's right. It did. Yeah. Oh yeah. And it's like, it's not like classic, Courier typewriter font. It's more like word processor. Right, right, right. Font. Yeah, yeah, uh, yeah. <laughs> I, I was like, as I was a typewriter, I'm like, well, no typewriter is like that, like hip dude, uh, or like that. That was IBM Ball typewriter printers. Do you remember those? Where the little ball had all yes. the letters on it, and they would. That was quite a feat of engineering. No kidding. I hope that guy got a Christmas bonus. Yeah, Mister Ball. <laughs> <laughs> he had this terrible name, Mr. Ball. And so he was like, I'll use it to my advantage. I'll make the best <laughs> typewriter ball in the world. The Spanish teacher in my high school is named Mr. Ball, but everyone just called him Mr. Pelota. Mr. what? Pelota. Spanish uh, for ball. Uh, I had a Mr. Ball as a teacher. You did? But, you know, I went to Catholic school, so it was one of the few priests uh, – who taught one of my classes in junior high at one of my like six teachers I went around to every day. Uh, oh. and his name was, uh, father ball. And maybe I should keep his anonymity here, but, uh, it's too fun of a name to talk about. His name was Richard. 
<laughs> well, speaking of typing, the typing teacher at Lucerna High was named Mr. Horny. <laughs> I swear. It wasn't like a Horny, Mr. Horny nope, situation. Just straight up Mr. Horny. Oh, no. Please tell me he was married and had like four kids. I don't know. I never had Mr. Grounded. Ball or Mr. Horny. I took German and computer programming. So I don't know. With Mr. Shoop and Mr. Neumann, but reversed. We both have talked about how we had Mr. Shoops in our life that we thought were cool. Yeah, that's right. Yeah. Yeah. Cool. If you've had a Mr. Shoop in your life that you thought was cool, like or comment or subscribe below. <laughs> uh, my one keyboarding memory that I'd like to share. Uh, keyboarding memory. I was late for keyboarding class. No, no, no. What is keyboard? Is that just typing in the computer age? Yeah. Oh, that's probably better. Though. So, yeah, just learning QWERTY on a yeah. on a different um, pad. Learning QWERTY. Learning QWERTY with uh, Dr. Dirty. <laughs> Dr. Dirty? <laughs> I'm not leaving my kids with Dr. Dirty. Well, it's him or Mr. Horny. You make the choice. <laughs> I had a note to drop off uh, 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 something at a classroom. For a teacher. And that's why I could be late for keyboarding class. And oh. a friend of mine, you know, he's cool. He's like, I'll just go with you. Your note covers me too. Uh. And it was fun. He got to go with me. We got to do this. And then we, I came late and uh, the teacher asked my friend for his note. And he was like, well, it was Paul's note. I didn't have one. <laughs> and this teacher could have like disciplined or whatever him in a different way, but he chose this route, which was, he went, oh, so you, you two needed to hold hands. Oh, oh my God. And, like, uh, and he's like, you couldn't be on your own, so you the two of you needed to hold hands and walk together. Uh, you couldn't be by yourself. Ooh, and it was like, weird. it was weird and like hostile. It's yeah, not bullying. just like, Shaming. Yeah. And a very specific type of shaming. Yeah. And what if you did need to hold hands and that's what, like, what if you had to deliver this thing into a haunted cave? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Maybe we saw a bat flying around. Yeah. <laughs> uh, and in a true, like, hey, this is what this is. He's top dog. We're shit. We had to say, like, yeah, we wanted to hold hands. It was kind of twisted. It's weird. Oh, God. Who is this? Which teacher was this? I'm not going to say his name. Okay. Uh, I mean, I'll tell no. you, Matt, off well, mic. But it's I not like hearing his name, I'm going to know who he No, is. no. It's more like uh, yeah. I went to a small okay. school. No, I understand. Yeah, yeah, Let's yeah. just call him Dr. Dirty. <laughs> yes. Uh, <laughs> um. Now, uh, when they get into the theater, also they're playing. We'll get out of this theater scene, but they're playing "Red Right Hand." Yeah, this is the song you told me about last time. I reckon as they're coming time. into the theater, the theater's playing the theme song. Yeah. For, okay, I mean, I love it yeah. all, but um, yeah, it also says the movie. Sometimes there's times where a movie's parody just goes a little too far. Is it right on the target? There's a sign that says filmed in Stabovision. Yeah. And and an actual separate projectionist like projecting that 
light gobo or something? Yes, and the like having like a this is like a, a William Castle shit, like having like a, a, a ghost face body like move up and down the theater. Yeah, on yeah, on like a little zip line yeah. or something. What, what was the gobo? It was the stabo vision. Oh, okay, that's how they were. I see. And this man, this theater is staffed. There are so many ushers and little projectionists, and the one guy was just there to operate the zip line, presumably. I know. When he was done with Makes- his work, he didn't like then hustle off somewhere. He just kind of stood there, like job's done. <laughs> He's like, there's no more work for me to do. Everybody's got a position. That's why when the person says we sold out and the other one goes, oh, cool. The next line was probably like, I won't lose my job because there's more ushers than patrons here. <laughs> the one night of the week where there's more audience members than patrons. The opening night of Stab one. Um the thing I was going to say that's cool, just like what Scream is, manages to pull off where they tell you the trick and then scare you. Like, I liked it's interesting that, like, you're watching Stab, and even though this dialogue is goofy, Heather Graham is acting well, scared. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And then they start doing this really cool thing where it's like parallel suspense between what they're watching on screen and what's going on in the bathroom. And then when. Uh, Jada Pinkett is watching it on screen. That's pretty sophisticated. That's cool. Same with the first movie with the Halloween and the camera from the news van. Yes. I mean, uh, I think that's like, no, I think that's like what's uh, really great about this opening overall and just opening as a sequel. Like it's, it's the natural extension after scream it's like the next place to go but not everybody would make that choice but they did and opening it with the movie stab is so cool yeah it's really good i'm so curious to see where these next three movies go i could not tell you i had no idea this was going this way yeah um you know i without uh setting up an expectation or whatever, but I, I scream Two is the, my favorite of the sequels. Yeah. Yeah. So you can imagine how tough this is to beat. Yeah. But the fact that, um, this was the thing we were talking about with Randy dying. He's the, uh, this sounds so corny to say, but he's the voice of the scream movies. And so like, yeah, he could be commenting at the end of scream Two. Like the thing was like, by the last 40 minutes, that kind of commentary just goes away and it just so happens after Randy dies. And if they kept him around, they could have an ongoing commentary throughout the, all the movies. Um, I know it's, it's funny how it goes from the commentary being from the film geek to like then the film bros of Mickey and even like Joshua Jackson in there. Yeah. It just feels like we go from like a Tarantino into like someone who loved Joker or something. Yeah. Do you want to talk about that film class scene? Yeah. So I love this scene. And it as soon as it happened, it made me think, oh, there's such a room for their theater, their their film professor to be this mentor, and they can go to him and go, like, wait. The killer's following a trope from before our Ooh. understanding of movie references, like what happened in Hitchcock or That's Dracula great. or something, or like the German expressionist Nosferatu. And I was so expecting this 
professor to play this kind of like advisory role. But it was the opposite. This class, the students just take over the lecture and the teacher just sits there going like, I I got, geez, I got nothing to say to this. I'm learning a thing or two. Yeah. Yeah. It was just such a nothing part. And I would love to see that role, like have that person on this poster, like Kenneth Branagh plays him or I don't know. Yeah. And then it, oh, of course, that'd be a great, like, uh, Casting, and then also just a, it would be another part of the whodunit. You'd have like a, a good like yeah. red herring too. Like, why does yeah. this guy know so much, and how's he using it? Uh, um, yeah, but like no. Roger Ebert, who was a fan of this movie, I believe he should have played that role. Oh, I, I just imagined Roger Ebert revealed as one of the Ghostface killers <laughs> at the end. He he pulls the Ghostface hood off. It's like, remember me. <laughs> Roger Ebert? You expecting somebody else? <laughs> well, it ain't Wendell Wilkie. <laughs> he didn't have a list, but I just think he should talk like a... He should have dog. one. Yeah. Um, yeah. Uh, yeah. Th- I would call this scene dizzying, Matt. There's so many actors, notable actors, thrown at you for the first time in the movie in this scene. Yeah. And because they're talking about sequels in a sequel, it's mind blowing too. It's just a right. really dizzying. Uh, I love this scene. It's one of my, uh, I'd say, top three faves of the whole movie is in the be- yeah, me classroom too. scene. So, yeah, I liked it a lot. Yeah. She says, uh, because he sticks up for um, Terminator 2 and Aliens, she says, you got a real hard on for Cameron. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, Oh, and uh, the stars, yes, Sarah Michelle Gellar, Joshua Jackson, just in one scene. I know. Timothy Oliphant, uh-huh. who uh, I know you love. And yeah. uh, and then um, Randy, just really, I mean, you were saying that the teachers don't, uh, the teacher's not talking, he just lets the class talk. Because I hadn't gone to college, I partly was watching this thing and, I bet this is what college is like. You just sit around and discuss things and the teacher's there to just, in case you get off track, but otherwise you (laughs) make sure you don't leave. Everybody and everybody gets to do their own little stand-up routine. Oh my God. And the teacher just sits there. That'd be amazing. (laughs) Did you take um, film classes or it was a theater? No, I never did. I always wanted to. I was jealous. I I couldn't get in for some, it was a hard general ed class to get in. Because the people who were cinema majors, did they get first bite or something? Or I know, just... I because film majors didn't have to take the general ed one. I think mm-hmm. it was just every general ed student in the world said, "Yeah, I'd like to watch yeah movies for a college class." And yeah, it was. I went to Cal State Long Beach, and it was really hard to register. It was just classes got taken really quickly. You could ne- I wanted to take women's studies? I could never get that, and I could never get film class yeah the um it's funny because it's a california school i imagine like it has a a film lover community of people who want to get in and stuff yeah and i think it had a decent film department that's where spielberg went oh uh, i believe um yeah did you ever um walk into any rooms with statues of him no have you ever walked into any room with a statue of him (laughs) no i'm in my bedroom (laughs) 
You're like, Amanda likes it. It's like, oh, your voice got a little too high in defense of the statue. Don't kink shame us. We like him to watch because then we know if he approves, we've done something that has a cogent story and good geographical placement for the audience to carry along. There's our, our sex life has a lot of cause and effect action humor. <laughs> and it's all shot by Yanis Kaminsky with a gauzy exposure. Uh, and uh, Jamie Kennedy is off the chain of the sea. He's doing a Marlon Brando impression. I know. That. This reminded me of, of Robin Williams in that improvised scene in, in Dead Poets Society that the whole movie is so tightly scripted and then there's suddenly these just jump cut montage improv scenes of him entertaining the boys in class. I forgot about those. Yeah. I mean, yeah, the similar lack of restraint and also similar to like the Robin Williams movies uh, when he does that. No, actually not similar. Like most times <laughs> when he like goes on a run, people just kind of sit there stupefied. But in this, like, everybody was laughing. Yeah. Like, as there, he does his routine. Yeah. And the teacher's just like, this is great. I don't have to do a thing. That actually does make more sense now that I think about it, having been a teacher for many years, where you're like, if the class just starts to run itself, your initial thought is like, oh, I can't let this happen. But then you quickly go, yeah, I'll just step back into the shadows, take a break. <laughs> that was what with the teacher, he, like... That morning, he had to, like, skip breakfast. He just had a class end right before that one. Yeah, he's tired. Uh, he's sick of film, frankly. He doesn't want to talk about film. I have no, like, specific funny memories. Uh, I was a film major at the University of Iowa, but I liked my film theory teachers. There's a lot of mm. stuff that they told me that I still think about, and my film production stuff. There's a lot of things that... uh on a technical level, I still think about. So it was cool. Maybe what I liked about this was uh, they um, the major as a choice is it like made fun of. They make it look cool. You get to yeah, they do hang out with and your I friends, like how talk movies. I really like how they work it in to the meta aspect of this that they've gone to study film for real now. So it's not even like not that it was forced in before. It made sense with Randy, the video store clerk, but. Now it's like a real, their lives yeah, are revolving around that's it. That's cool. Theater and film, you know? Yeah. And, and it feels like a good sequel heightening of what was the first one. Like now they're going. Yeah. Um, uh, funny though that Randy's going to the same college as Cindy. Maybe he's doing to pursue her, but it feels a little like Saved by the Bell, the college years. Oh, yeah. Definitely. <laughs> and same with Dewey showing up. Because originally, I guess he was a security guard there who had followed her to protect her and got a job as a security guard. Oh, Good God. I'm so glad they changed it. <laughs> yeah. That he just is making a, an appearance, right, there? Yeah. 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 I I don't want to think about it for too long, but it is weird that, like, the old gag is kind of <laughs> together. Yeah, yeah. I guess, I mean, you got to take it on the chin to get all the group together. That's it's true. worth it. That's very true. Um, Has this, I think this came up on the podcast once before, but... Oh, one second. I think Amanda's bringing... Oh, sure. Hello? <gasps> oh. Roast. This is our holiday roast coffee, and we sing that song every time. Holiday roast. Oh. 
What a lovely uh, morning. Matt, be nimble. Matt, be Matt quick. Matt, be quick. Whoa. <laughs> um, but this came up, and House 2, the second story, is that the best subtitle for a film ever made? Well, and it is so good, and that's why they chose it, right? Like, they could have yeah. said any sequel there, but they chose the one with the best fucking title. There's no, there's no better. There's no better subtitle to a movie. I can't. The typewriter can't ball guy and the <laughs> subtitle writer guy for House Two both should like own an island together. Yeah, I, if they're dead, I hope they have like level nine clouds, like right below God, or God's like. You know, a lot of people think Gandhi and Mother Teresa, but no, you two, you're my proudest creations. What if you really got like on God's good list in the afterlife? You were like, hey, just keep it quiet, but I'll give you a couple of days to go visit like people from your life who are still on Earth. And that's what ghosts are, people who get, like, shore leave, but it's to Earth for good behavior, basically. Yeah, and, like, let's be honest, the way you do it is you, like, kiss God's ass. Like, yeah. he's not going to do yeah. it just because you're walking around heaven being a regular person. you got to right. be like, right. uh, that whole art thing you came up with was <laughs> so cool. Oh, thanks. Hey, do you want to go visit your brother? Oh, I, I get. I wasn't even thinking thinking about it, but I mean, if you, yeah, sure. By the way, your beard is flaxen and amazing. Do you use product? Because there's no way you don't. God, Lord. <laughs> when anyway, uh, my mom's my mom's not been feeling well. Oh, um. Well, because you what? said that kind yeah, thing about what, my what? beard. What? Oh, but that Flaxed I wasn't all. I wasn't doing that for any reason. No, no, no. Person. I didn't think you were. Person. I mean, I appreciate it's weird you that you can't that. figure out my angle on this. That I'm fooling you somehow. But <laughs> you could be a ghost. <laughs> Yay, ghost face! That is the origin of ghost face. And I want to just in time to go see Stab open up at the Rialto. Um, the uh, uh, now enters Jerry O'Connell as Derek. Yeah, entering similar to Skeet Ulrich, he's stepping over like a onto a porch. He's going over yeah. like a little fence. These her boyfriends don't respect property. I don't know if we're three and four. We're getting Nev Campbell new boyfriends, but I would love to clock their entrances to see if we've got a theme going on. If we've got a pattern, That's, yeah. And it could be indicative to whether they're a killer or not, depending on if it's true that Derek ever really was originally the killer. No, I'd make a horrible detective. <laughs> You'd be better than Dewey. No kidding. Uh, Dewey lives again after being... That guy's got to oh, be like... Well, the, there are physical therapy bills. The thing with Randy's death is a little bit what they were going to say about if uh, Han Solo died at the beginning of Return of the Jedi... That it would heighten the stakes where you'd think, oh, any character can die. It uh-huh. did do that for me with Scream 2, where like yeah. with everybody, uh, when there was a moment of peril, like I was like, oh, I guess Courtney Cox isn't going to be in the movie anymore. She got shot there. Or um, when Dewey died, I was like, oh, Dewey's definitely gone. He's just as gone as uh, uh, Randy is. But he wasn't. He wasn't. 
And uh, yeah, I didn't expect Derek to die and die in kind of a real tragic way. It's like being dying while like someone's maligning his intentions as part of the killers. And, and then getting shot in the chest like that. Well, hell of a squib. Holy cow. Have you ever seen a squib that goes off and then their lover like reaches to cover it up quickly because they're they're like saddened by the squib? I think it's more they're like, get your hand on there as quick as you can because the prosthetic could fall off because it's a bare chest squib. <gasps> yeah, that was pretty. How, 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 what do you think of, in terms of bare chest squibs? It was great squibs? because like. I love it because it was between the chains and straps. So there was a frame enough for the prosthetic. Like if it, if those chains and straps weren't there, you'd probably see the seams of the makeup. So you could run a yes. wire up one of those straps and then kind of put yes. that little prosthetic. It was great. Loved it. Great squib work. Yeah. Hats off squib heads. Do you think there's one squib guy who kind of runs through all these great squib moments? Like, yeah, like we got to get, the IBM ball guy for equivalent of squ- the it's guy that all sits one in the man. cloud. Yeah. It's a Forrest Gump. It's the worst Forrest Gump. I came up with the typewriter ball and squibs. <laughs> and the title to House 2, the second story. <laughs> I mean, that, that's, hey, that's, that's, that's pretty cool. Knocking him out of the park. I'd want that life. But I did come up with color forms and Coke clear or whatever. <laughs> Uh, then enter uh, Joel, the new camera guy, with Gail, with her new rocker look. That's right. The Magento. And you got Louis Arquette, David Arquette's father, playing the chief of police. Yeah. Another also little interesting might, casting. Might know him from Waiting for Guffman of Beans. I love beans. Don't get me started on beans. Matt. That is maybe number one most quoted line in our house between me really? and Leslie is the <laughs> beans, beans, don't get me started on beans. So funny. It's like big, fat, juicy, beans. big, fat, juicy beans. <laughs> uh, also, I love at the very opening when he goes, uh, this is what often starts up the line. The quoting is, oh, I didn't hear you. Sneak up on me there. Oh, yeah. Oh, God. <laughs> Such a perfect way for a community theater play to start. In Blaine. Ah! Yeah. Oh, he's so good. And then the way Corky uh, gets him to agree in his trailer to, to join the play. And he's oh, surrounded yeah, by all of his, like, stuffed oh, yeah. animals. I- to see the light come up in his eyes would, like... Uh, Corky flatters him. Yeah, I didn't know Hoof could do that. <laughs> yeah, uh, uh, we're uh, we I, we don't engage in much talk about it, but I think deep down we're big um, Guff heads. Oh, I'm a big Guffman head. I've seen that movie dozens of times because I used to show it to my theater class every semester. I love that movie it's, so much. Uh perfect. It's a perfect yeah. uh movie. Uh the um Michael Hitchcock's run of oh. that ends with God I wish I was in the show. Yeah. Corky, Corky. Oh wait. <laughs> oh, so good. 
<laughs> and the like, no. I think I might have told you this story, but like for one of my birthdays, I, or my birthday, I get to go out and visit my sister in Chicago. She took me to an art house theater that was playing Waiting for Guffman oh. when it came out. And we went to it and it was right after I had just been truly, I see, I saw the, in February, I did the play. In April, I see the movie. In February, the play is a community theater production I was in of a musical about my hometown. Oh, my God. So, what was that called? Uh, Lamar Gateway or Lamar's is Born. Oh, is it a, like a melodrama, like an old-fashioned melodrama? Yeah, the, the joke was sort of, yeah, it was kind of like trains that were like you'd imagine a woman would get tied to and somebody wanted to save and stuff and the music was like how our town got their name was the first letter of every wife and so the, there's a song about them really trying to, yeah oh my god so they're trying to arrange the letters to spell lamar's but they're like uh you know <laughs> selmar what, what did you play i played a um, non-problematic native american <laughs> Uh, the I, only one that's ever achieved that that status. I bang the drum while the like uh, Native American chief like gives the history of the town. <laughs> <laughs> so bad, and uh, and then the uh, um, uh, oh, and I also played like a townsfolk person. Like if they ever needed like a, because I was like sixteen, and so it'd be like right. if they just needed a. A young oh, person on stage great. with the townsfolk. I wish that were on video. Oh, I was just about to say this, and I just chose not to. My uh, friend has it on video. We watched it, and it's just one of those things that can't hold up to the experience of having been in it. Like the tape oh, does I'm, it. Just it's, I'm sure it's if you're there, away. It, was, it was definitely hitting hitting it. But I did fast forward to the spelling of the Loire's name, though, because I knew that was a, a choice, choice moment. Oh, but when my sister, she didn't, my oldest sister lived in Chicago. She wasn't, didn't see the play or hadn't been in it. But there's just a lot of small town specifics that we were losing our minds. And there's a part where I think it's Michael Hitchcock again. He goes, he's disparaging someone. He goes, They're, they don't support the town and they shop. At Walmart. At Walmart, yeah. They shop at Walmart was just the thing that was always talked about in my town. was just like, who supports the town by going to the main street and who makes it easy on themselves by paying less at Walmart. And so if someone was seen going to Walmart, they were shamed. But you're also probably only seen if you're there by somebody else who's there. It's like when you're cutting class, it's like, well, you can't bust me because I'll bust you. And Yes. Yeah. And I think it was that everybody goes to Walmart. So it was like, Oh, they did. I think there was like, this is so funny. I never thought about this in a long time, but I think there was like, if Walmart offered something that the main street offered, you don't get it at Walmart. You get it at the main street. And then, but you go to Walmart for stuff that you can't get anywhere in town. Okay. It's a funny distinction, but. Yeah. And my dad's, yeah. uh, he owned a small business, uh, Rust Western Shed. And that's right. His business was uh, sort of uh, protected because Walmart's boots and shoes are shit. Oh. They're like, yeah, they never like were um, to this day, I don't think are able to like license. They don't sell like Nikes there and stuff. 
Oh, interesting. Um, anyway, a <laughs> little diversion there. To- <laughs> a little tab open. There's nothing wrong with that. That was a tab I really enjoyed reading. Close tab. Well, should we open the Portia de Rossi tab? And the and Rebecca Gayhart? Rebecca Gayhart, <laughs> yeah. And the Dave Matthews? <gasps> and Eels? I heard Eels. When was Dave Matthews? Just really briefly. I don't know. I just have all these name checks in my notes. Metcalf. Arquette. <laughs> Matthews. Yeah. yeah there's the, just a brief little Dave Matthews needle drop. Uh, I like the Eels drop. Mm-hmm. I own that album. Uh, I listened to it before the movie. So to hear it in a movie on opening night, how exciting is that? I love eels. Me too, man. Yeah, yeah. We t- I don't know if we've talked about that. I don't think we have. No. Um, I've thought so much about their first five albums, like front to back, so much. Yeah. Uh, you should try to sync this movie to one of those. Ooh, eels probably would be good. That's yeah, cinematic sounds. Uh, you can sync all the eel albums to all the scream movies. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> um, and then she says something like, uh, uh, oh, but when they, they pop up, Portia de Rossi, all these people, Rebecca Gayhart, Joshua Jackson, it really makes you realize, like, if you were a hot, up and coming young actor in Hollywood, this was the movie everybody wanted to be in. No kidding. Yeah. I know. Cause, uh, Sarah Michelle Geller had, she was shooting Buffy or between seasons. Nev Campbell, I believe had to go shoot party of five Monday to Tuesday and then shoot this. And on Sunday nights they would shoot through the nights and she would go back to the set of party of five having not slept. Oh my God. Some real, uh, MJ Fox family ties back to the future. Double duty. That's right, man. And my Matthew Fox too. Um, Yes, that's right. Mm-hmm. I've thought in those situations, it it's a, a sad irony that because the person's getting that much work in that moment is because they're at their peak. But if you exhaust yourself, is she really yeah. delivering the best she can on Party of Five at her peak and in Scream 2? Seemingly, but I don't know. Yeah, I guess you, you have a lot of energy at that age. Um, it's that Hollywood cocaine. The Hollywood cocaine. Um, a lot of people don't know if you're not from here that the big Hollywood sign is just giant plexiglass containers of cocaine. And you just go up under it and open a little plug. <gasps> like you, gerbil style, sort of like. Yes. Gerbil gravity style. Snort it. Yeah. You just put your nostril upside down and it fills it and then shuts off and then you just inhale. And it's. Shows how much this city loves cocaine that you never notice the letters are empty. They always keep it full, which oh. I think is just part of the part of the glamour and glitz of Hollywood. That's right. And during the huge cocaine shortage of the sixties, that's why it went from Hollywood land to Hollywood, because they couldn't keep it full. <laughs> Uh, the, uh, oh, when Portia de Rossi's character says, uh, six degrees of Kevin Bacon. Yeah. I wish there were more times in the, in Scream 2. There's a lot of in Scream where because they're talking about pop culture in the movie, characters are talking about it then all the time. Yeah. In Scream, I feel like it's a little more like 
throughout the movie, people are doing things like this. So I just wanted to highlight Scream 2 doing Six Degrees of Kevin Bacon is like a cool little yeah. shout out. But I wish there was more in this movie. I do too. Um, now, Dewey appears a little bit with that reddish re-dyed tint hair. Um, and then there's new guys in the group. Uh, uh, Jerry O'Connell and Timothy Oliphant. Mm-hmm. Uh, so Dewey tells... Randy? Uh, yes. Sorry. Yeah. Yeah. I see what you're saying. Yeah. Randy's got the like frosted tips and the little, I don't remember if he had a little goatee in the first one, but he's just got a little, he's just a little buffer and leaner too. Like you could tell Jamie Kennedy's like, people are starting to notice me and now I got to live up to it. I got to look the part. Yeah. Cause what you were saying too, his style's a little different, right? It's kind of yeah. more like hipster cool. Yeah. 90s retro 70s kind of. Yeah. Um, I think he thinks he's Ethan Hawke in Reality Bites in this movie, where Jerry O'Connell's Ben Stiller. <laughs> he's in a he's in a different movie for sure. Yeah, I just think uh, Wes Craven wasn't Wes reining him in, <laughs> <laughs> like he should have been. Uh, and I thought this was—I mean, I like it on whodunit terms it just makes the rules fun but when Dewey tells Sydney um she likely already knows the killer I'm like All right, what I guess yeah uh like it could be a guy who's just dropping by campus or you just just literally met the woman who would be the killer or or are about to I can't remember if that was before or after oh, she has and she doesn't scene. I mean, she knows Mickey, but it's not until the very end, which it's pretty ingenious. I like that. Um, oh, wait. So who's telling who that? Sydney. Uh, Dewey. Dewey's telling uh, Sydney. Uh, oh, right. Hey, heads up. You probably already know yes. the person, which I was That's like, right. if somebody said that in real life and not a who done it, I'd be like, you sure about that? I know. And wh- how do you know that? But this is also where he says he, she, or they. So- Oh, a right. lot of the really all the clues are there, and Dewey's really prescient. Yeah, and uh, again, I just love David Arquette in this part. There's so many funny little additions that he does that really uh, add, add some unique charm. Even what do though- you think of his walk? <laughs> he really goes for it. Yeah, even uh, Randy calls it out a bit. He's like, he, he does. Yeah, he goes like, "What's with that walk? You were stabbed in the back," which feels like a little like. <laughs> I bet that was ad libbed. Yeah, and part of the reason why he got killed. <laughs> David Arquette comes off this, and he's like, "So he's just gonna blow up my spot like that, right yeah. in the scene? He's got to go." Uh, David Arquette does say, up until they shot the scene, he didn't know if Randy was gonna survive. And that Same it was with- unknown to him too. Dewey or Randy? Randy. Uh, Jamie Kennedy said he didn't know Randy oh. was going to die uh, in that uh, oh, up in okay. when they were shooting the scene. Wow! Um, and he did. He probably thought, "Well, Dewey survived in the first one. There, I'll be a fan favorite. They'll pull me out last minute." Where's it's, you know we haven't shot that uh, scene where I get pulled out on a stretcher and everything's okay, <laughs> Wes. Yeah, we're gonna. We're going to get to that. What well, don't you want to do that now? 
<laughs> so funny, so funny, Jamie. Okay, we got to shoot your death scene now. <laughs> right. Oh, okay. Uh, um, speaking of acting, we find out Sydney's an actor. Yeah. Do you think it's a little weird you're getting a lead in the play freshman year of college? Always weird. Always weird. Yeah. Um, yeah. Did, did Was there some Prescott family fun that built the theater or something? <laughs> What's going on here? No. I mean, maybe. But all I know of the Prescotts is Sydney's mom was out to get it. <laughs> Hot to trot. Uh, also, the... Uh, uh, um, uh, that it's like one of those sequel things where she didn't, she never said in the first one she had any interest in acting. No, none at all. It's hilarious. And, and, and the way fine. that her professor, played by the great David Warner, is like, you can't give this up. Like, you're born to do it. You're, you're, it's in your blood. As we you know? saw in the first Scream movie, you love the theater. Uh, um, the um, okay so then we got a Sydney slapping Gale for bringing uh, Cotton over and I thought that's kind of a de-escalation going from a punch to a slap that's not the sequel I came to see oh right yeah she should have pulled out a switchblade and cut her nostril (laughs) Switchblade. She just runs it down uh, Gail's cheek. <laughs> we're supposed to be like, yes, right on. She cuts her throat and pulls her tongue through. Columbia necktie, bitch. <laughs> uh, now, Gail kind of goes back and forth in this movie a little yeah. bit. Yeah. She's either like extra hungry and extra um, conniving. Or she kind of bounces over to being sweet in a way that doesn't feel like that's part of the manipulation. No, I know. It was like they reset her character so they could kind of put her through the same arc and it didn't fully work for me. I liked the chase sequence with her and Ghostface, but I was more concerned about Dewey. And then to have her just end by just getting shot off the stage... It's yeah. just weird. Like her her role, the news and the media stuff worked well, but as a character, it felt a little bit like it was just clinging to the rest of the story to try to belong a little bit. Yes. There was some stuff that when I saw it, it almost felt like it was shot. Some stuff was like there was a yeah. certain configuration of her, Dewey, um, uh the uh Joel and Cotton. Oh, and uh, Laurie Metcalf. There's like three or four scenes that all kind of take... <laughs> they all have the same length of hair and kind of makeup. It just feels like that was a day that they hung story points on a thing that they already shot. Or yeah, I it know. almost feels like she was beefed up a little bit more. I don't know if it was star power or, or what, but yeah. that I will say this about this movie. It's a little too long, and there are a few scenes that could go. Mm-hmm. Like you certainly, as much as I love David Warner, you don't need the scene with her being convinced to act. They could just cut to her being in the play, and we already know she was going to be in the play, you know, that yeah, I wonder if that's part of something getting rushed for for a uh, a release date. Within I think a year. so. 
I mean, and it, David Warner was originally, he auditioned for Freddy Krueger. Did you know that? Or he was no. considered for the role? Yeah. David Warner was like my first person who I was just like, maybe trying to get my grasp on character actor because I first mm. saw him in Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles 2. Oh, and, I know him from Time Bandits. And Man with Two Brains is the thing. I, oh, yeah. yeah. And so for me, I'm like, well, this guy's a white hot star. <laughs> oh, how old are you at the time? <laughs> Not when I watched Scream 2. Like, it was when I was like 11 after yeah, I saw Yeah, that's what I mean. I love yeah. it. Yeah, mom, yeah, yeah. Mom, I'm concerned. People calling David Warner a character actor when I think he's a white hot star. <laughs> oh, don't worry your precious head about that, child. Okay. Uh,. What would they say about David Strathairn? I I hope you grow up to be David Strathairn. <laughs> uh, do you? Uh, yeah. What did you? Um, the 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 thing about Courtney Cox, the when she was getting chased, I liked that there was like a ooh one person getting chased around sequence. Yeah, me too. Um, but I did think it was like, wow, it took a while or it's unusual that it's Gale right now. We're like yeah, a movie yeah. and a half in and we're finally getting to get like it did seem like it something added extra. It did. It totally did. I oh, loved I it. Did, though. I love the the recording yes. studio aspect of it. And yeah. you can hear and not hear and you can see and not hear. And, and hiding behind the, those padded walls and stuff yeah. uh, was really cool. I love how they also kept up that Ghostface is a doof. Like when he was attacking Sarah Michelle Geller and he keeps falling down and, you know. Yeah. He seemed, his body movement seemed a little less like rubbery, funny stuntman though in this yeah. one. Right? Do you think it was a little more contained? I wonder if that's, if it was a stuntman or if how much um, Oliphant was playing it. Oh, that'd be so cool if to me the Oliphant was like, I want to play the, I mean, maybe... God, I would love some backstage or behind the scenes photos of like Lillard dressed up as uh, Ghostface. Yeah. Um, the uh, um, oh, and she does. I called him Barney Fife uh, Dewey in the previous episode, but then they call that out, and he's mm. he says that in her book he's described as a Barney Fifeish presence. Yeah. Um. So these scenes between Dewey and Gale, um. No horror movie ever has any seen this rom-com cutesy, right? I know. And and he also gets his own theme in this movie, which I read was pulled from another movie, used as temp track. And it's it it's from, like I forget what movie, Marco Beltrami, another one of his movies. Oh, uh, Broken Face Arrow. Off? Broken Arrow, yeah. So he, if we listen to Broken, or if we watch Broken Arrow, we'll hear that? Yeah, Christian Slater's theme in that movie. is What? That? I don't These know. movies, they were I so know. rushed. <laughs> yeah, I know. It's funny. Because talk about how the first one, he was like, his inspiration was a Western score. This one really feels like it with that. Down, down, down. It's like, felt like trim, Twin Peaks. Yeah, there's an over-reliance on that and Red Right Hand. They could have used yeah. it a little bit more uh, sparingly. Yeah, because there's uh, some Hans Zimmer credited score tracks on this movie two of them and i saw uh cassandra's uh something uh 
<laughs> theme uh, by Danny Elfman. Yeah, I think they just pulled from their catalog. Oh boy, they must have been really behind. I, I will say that, like for such a rushed movie, it's impressive what they pulled oh, off. The fact that it's nearly a perfect movie is yeah. like, and that pulled it off. I, I know Kevin Williamson bluffed and sold the first screen movie that he had sequels with it. And so I could see that maybe this, it wasn't entirely like blank page. Right. Now I got to start writing. Like there must've been stuff in in the hopper that he was. Yeah. I think about. he had like a six page treatment during mm. the making of scream. So he had that oh, to okay. jump off of. Um, another sequence mentioning just the recording studio. I really do like the, uh, Sarah Michelle Geller sorority sequence. Yeah, me too. Um, and there's a moment there when the friend she calls and teases her and starts doing like, yeah. Um, uh, speaking of Kevin Williamson, when he did, I remember the initial interviews for Scream, he said it came out of when one night he had a house sit. That's right. Yeah. And he was scared and he called up a friend and his friend started teasing him by going like, I was like, yeah. oh, that's cool how the, now it's Kevin Scream 2. A friend's doing it over the phone. Do you know who the voice is on the phone? <gasps> when Kevin Williamson got scared? or No, in the movie when she gets scared. No. Selma Blair. What? Yeah. How? That's cool. I know. I wish I had more info. That's all I can tell you. But I did wonder, like, is that um, Timothy Oliphant doing the voice? I mean, or no, it's this guy, Roger... Roger, Roger, yeah, Jackson. What's his name? Um, it is Roger, isn't it? What if it was Randy Jackson from Randy American ja- Idol? <laughs> your shrill, your scream's a little pitchy, dog. A man who saw me at the age of twenty-three with panicked eyes run into a gas station, and asked the person behind the counter, "How do I get on the one hundred and one?" Oh, really? Yeah, and he just like watched me like be a freak, and then I walked out. He's probably talking about it all the time. You I saw this screaming. random 23-year-old stranger <laughs> run in and ask for directions. His last words were, David Warner is a white-hot star. Mark <laughs> my words. <laughs> uh, also, the, the most likely person to be watching Nosferatu on TV would be a college student. Yeah, the <laughs> only person, really. <laughs> um, there's a moment when the closet door behind her opens up and he pops out. Um, you know, when they kind of like frame for a gag, yeah, like they have to have like enough space in the frame so a door can open and the ghost mm-hmm. face runs out and you see him. Um, I rem- there's a moment like that in Friday the 13th part two. And I remember when I was a kid thinking like, oh, I wonder if you could use that to your disposal. You frame shots to make it seem like something's going to pop out and then they don't. And then realizing, like, that it would just seem like the person doesn't know what they're doing. It's dumb. Bad cinematography. Yeah. Yeah. But, like, when you see a scene like that, I did wonder, like, is it, or a shot like that, is it, like, is the eye supposed to go, I'm buying this, and so the jump out the door is going to be even more surprising? Or do the filmmakers kind of want the eye to be, like, there's something weird about this, and it's building suspense? I don't know if those moments are suspense and suspense or, yeah. I don't know. The only thing I can think of is why that scary little scene in Exorcist 3 is so brilliant is because you follow the nurse 
all in close up. And for horror movies, for at least a decade, if not more, you're taught that in close up is when the scare is going to come because you can't see your surroundings. And so there's going to be a jump scare and it follows her around for so long doing that. When the finally, the last shot is the safe shot of a wide, wide shot where you're like, it's Uh. safe because you can see everything and you just see the nurse walk by down at the end of the hall and then she's passed. So it's like totally safe. And then when that thing with the scissors comes, you just so don't expect it. And they put in a music sting and it just like plays on all your expectations. And it's God, that would have been cool if they scream could have used that. That just yeah. seems like such a fun, like, scream gimmick or something. But, yeah, exactly. Um, uh, do you know what uh, Exorcist 3 doesn't have, though? What? An Everclear needle drop. Uh, or tonic. <laughs> also tonic? I think so, Oh, yeah. my God. Everclear and tonic. Wow. These liquids. All these, yeah, booze and mixer. You know what this movie made me think? I think it was the opening scene that they should do a version of this Blu-ray where you could play a separate audio track that has the movie, the score, everything, but you hear a theater audience and it has a bunch of people doing like, don't go in there. And then laser pointers come up on the screen. That too. is awesome. So yeah. like the nineties theatrical experience of this movie. <laughs> and then two uh, fearful improv students having to do funny usher routines in front of an audience. <laughs> oh no. <laughs> But don't worry, we always got in our back pocket the Titanic pose. Always end with it. Titanic featuring David Warner, the white hot star. You're telling me David Warner was in two hit movies two weekends in a row? He was a white hot star. I guess you're right, man. He got to bring his family to Scream 2 or a date <laughs> to Scream 2 one weekend and uh, another well, that's family what he member. Did. He, he took his family the first weekend to Titanic and then he took his date. Screen. It's like Goodfellas. It's, it's Gumar. Uh, yeah. 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 That's what I call my baby, by the way. I've got my wife and my Gumar. Ah. <laughs> uh, that's funny. Uh, yeah. What did you think about? So there, they talk a little Star Wars here. Yeah. I don't agree with Randy's logic. That because I agree. It's part I wrote of a trilogy. that as a note. Yeah. yeah. A sequel is a sequel, even if it has a, tr- a trilogy third. Do you think also, it was trying I, to make an excuse for this? Like they know that Scream's going to be a trilogy, so they're hmm, already question. covering their butts. But this reminded me that, you know, there's been a lot of, oh, what's the word? Like not controversy, but argumentation over whether how much of the Star Wars trilogy was planned. You know, Lucas had his long outline of this long right. story, but he'll always say it's nine episodes and it's clearly not the case. Yeah. And I think- I feel like I knew this back then, but now I think it's common knowledge that he's kind of, Lucas has been bullshitting, but I'm trying to remember in 90, when was this? 97. This is when the special editions were coming out. I still don't, I think the common belief was that Lucas had all this planned out, but real Star Wars fans knew that wasn't necessarily the case. No, Randy's wrong. Yeah. Like when he said like it was all planned out, um, a, I disagree with the logic of that, that yeah. like it's not a sequel if that takes place. And also, yeah, uh, he's wrong. It wasn't all planned out. And I wonder if it's a little, it's so funny because you watch Scream 3, that ain't definitely uh, uh, yeah. uh, planned out. And you would even say with Randy's death in Scream 2, in Scream 2, Scream 3 like acknowledges that Randy should be around. 
Mm, interesting. Um, uh, then Loomis's mom. This is when I wondered, oh, it has to be pretty clear she's the killer. So uh, that's we answered that. Um, um, when in the first scream and now this scream, I both times get so, I love it. I get so suckered by the, um, ghost face attacking Sydney in the beginning of the movie, like in the first act rather than like when, when she, yeah turns around and he's there. It's just, yeah. it always works as a surprise because it's breaking the, the formula of right. slashers. Yeah. Uh, um, then, okay, now Gail goes to the police station and she's with David and Louis uh, Arquette and they make this discovery that I don't know really, I thought about it, gets explored that much in the rest of the movie that the killer's killing people who share the same names. <laughs> Kind of. Yeah, they have like a, a version of their name in their name because Cece's real name is Casey, they find out. And so what's killing Randy mean? And like... Well, then I think it's off to killing everybody involved in the original. Okay, so it was just copycatting like to the end and then yeah, starting something else. Why kill Derek? Right. Yeah. And or uh, Haley. Yeah, unless those were just moments where they crossed paths with the killer and the killer had to. Yeah. Yeah. Um, but uh, also then if that's the case and they know that, why wouldn't they start then exploring, lo- looking for people's names that yeah. share the Woods Barrow kind of thing? Yeah. Um, the, um, I'm in a little bit of a run here of like knocking it, so I don't mean to, but... Kevin Williamson dialogue is okay to a point, yeah. but when you got like Derek, the frat boy talking so clever, like, uh, like he goes, he says at one point to city, I wrote it down. I hope that was an off the cuff remark that holds no subtext. I know. I know. <laughs> Same with when Dewey's the whole like meta, uh, reverse psychology about whether he's playing dumb or, you know? Yeah. It's like, you either are dumb or you're doing that. So yes, if you're doing that, we should, I don't know. There's one person who's a star performer and that's when, um, uh, Gail tells off Metcalf, uh, 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 Mrs. Loomis about like, we all need to be thinking about what we're doing. He's a good guy. We're not good guys. Something like that. There's an extra next to Laurie Metcalf who does, just the most cedary chewy, like he turns off his recorder, like because he's a reporter. So oh. it's a very like flashy, like got that okay yeah. off. Uh, <laughs> I thought you meant like he turned it off, like she's convinced me. I'm quitting being a reporter. I'm just a vulture. I'm gonna go join a charity. What? Oh my god, that would be great if the guy yeah threw it down and then like, what <laughs> took off his tie and walked off. Um. Now, maybe my least favorite part of the movie, or just when I was sitting in the theater when I first saw it, I was kind of like, huh? What was the Top Gun 
reference when he sings to her in the cafeteria. Yeah, I think that was also part of his audition. That's how he got the role. Mm. <laughs> oh, I don't like any part of this then. <laughs> not the scene, not the behind the scenes story. Um, I It's weird to be referencing. I mean, I think it shows just how I think culture actually moved faster back then. That there's only an 11 year separation between Top Gun and this movie. And they're referencing it like it's a classic scene. Hey, man, we were doing the Titanic pose in the theaters of the Universal City Walk. That's true. That's true. (laughs) And it came out a week after Scream 2. So, uh, but uh, this scene, I can't imagine at any college having such a wholesome student body. And I don't know why I'm complaining. I love wholesomeness. But with that student body all like applauds and cheers that would never everybody would boo that man i know they would laugh him off the the whole college atmosphere in this movie is so idyllic and just the way it looks it's shot so beautifully Uh, i was thinking a lot about your comment with the first one that these shot these are so not shot like horror movies they're so sunny or scored like them yeah yeah um the oh speaking of getting big laughs i remember the luke wilson cameo in the in the thing got a really big laugh it's funny it's Uh, really good and the comment that um um uh dewey's played by david schwimmer and then there's a jennifer aniston reference too it's like fred stuff all over this is why i think courtney cox's role is kind of beefed up it's just because I think the first year of Friends was kind of lukewarm and then it really took off in summer reruns. Yes. And that, are they say that in the Ringer um, oral history too? That kind well, of. Well, like and then also spin. I think the lore of David Arquette and her relationship yeah. was known. So that's why they're leaning into it more with these rom com yeah. scenes that like. Right. 10 years later, nobody has an effing clue. Like, what's, <laughs> why are they, why do they care so much about Gail and Dewey? Um, also, just in a, I mean, yeah, I would say after Sydney gets attacked until she, like, gets in the police car at the end, it's just kind of like, a, this is what I mean, but just like sloppy scenes, sloppy motivations. Like, there's a moment when, um, Randy and Dewey, yeah, just sit down and have a talk. And I'm like, <laughs> these two never the first one. But it's like, oh, no, they're two beloved fan favorite characters. So, of course, we got to get them together and they're going to talk about sequels. Yeah. I mean, that is like a not as good version of the blockbuster video scene uh, where him and Lillard have the conversation about you could be the suspect. It's like a revisit of that, but not as not as good. Um the um uh and that was another version when they all meet up again it's that cluster of actors that i don't know why they keep coming back together um but the um did you have any other thoughts on david warner <laughs> no cuz i do <laughs> well if i would hope so because he's a white hot actor. Yes, I mean you've got to back that up. I'd love uh, to hear your essay. I just no, I like David Warner the actor, the character though. I was like, I think this director maybe should have thought 
twice about having a scene with masked characters holding knives. Uh, I know. At Cindy here. Yeah. Get into a nice hilarious. like kitchen scene. Yeah. Oh, it just seems like the kind of theater professors I had where it'd be like, oh, put the traumatized girl in the scene that's going to traumatize her. Not just because we'll get the real performance, but because we're twisted and that's theater. Theater is where you go into the heart of your madness. The white heart heart. (laughs) As white heart as my career. I just, I feel like I was in undergrad and grad school of 90s theater college training. And it is maybe... The most, um, like high stakes for absolutely no reason, like the most self important, like nothing, none of it should have ever been given any credence, and people took it so seriously. It was just a huge waste of time and energy. <laughs> That's a uh, Mike Nichols line. He's like, about uh, because it's all in who's afraid of Virginia Woolf, they're all academics, yeah, right from the university or related to them. Yeah. Uh, and uh, he said, uh, you know why people in the academic field take it so seriously? Because there's no stakes. Yeah. Yeah, they <laughs> like, have to. You have yeah. to do it. To, yeah. like- you have to imbue it with importance because there is none. I mean, especially, uh, I mean, I, I said it earlier in the episode i learned so much so not knocking on any of that and maybe you're talking about specifically theater uh uh teachers yeah um, i'm knocking on it a little uh <laughs> but uh um i i would think even after tenure it'd be then really hard to find stakes right yeah because you can't lose your job yeah you oh god you then like would be confined to this person leaves their food in the break room fridge and it sucks. Oh my God. Thank like, God I didn't take that path. There was a world where I became a college theater professor and you know, I, there for a time I was heading that way and I think I just knew it couldn't last. Yeah. I mean, for the people, uh, I, I have, uh, family members who teach and are professors and stuff and they love it and I can see in their eyes how they love it. And, uh, how one could, uh, but yeah, I, I hear you uh, from your perspective of like that's not a fit for you. No, and I'm speaking mostly about theater professors, and and not all of them. I had some good ones for sure, but just the theater as a discipline, even the term discipline for theater is just so ridiculous. Yeah, you know, just how self important it is, and yeah, I, I do, I'm not discounting theater as an art form. It just no, oh, I know. Yeah. I'm just talking about '90s. Cal State Long Beach theater. I, oh yeah, you're the best, buddy. You're not saying that being nasty. I, I yeah, like uh, no the. And I was a part funny. of the problem too. I should say because I was both a student and a teacher there as a as a like they gave the grad students classes. So well, it's just a it tough just mix a because mix. yeah, um, you can be like. Um, it's with a bunch of people filled with a bunch of people. Who, with a tendency toward drama. So, exactly. of course, it's going to go this way. Exactly. Is it any surprise? Now, that being said, I was impressed with how well they got a Greek tragedy recognized on stage with, like, the chorus and the chanting and the masks and yes. the look of it. It was, you know, pretty good. Yeah. I. It was well done. I mean, uh, if I went to that, 
If I was Sidney Prescott's dad and I went to that production, I'd be like, hey, she's going to a good school. Yeah. <laughs> I'm trusting these folks. <laughs> Except why are they doing this production with her in the lead? <laughs> What's going on there? <laughs> anyway, uh, I, also, I also have been an absentee dad since the first film. And also when she needs me the most, I just, oh, well. Yeah, so he's like, uh, I guess uh, me being an absent father, her sleeping with a father figure theater director. Yeah, this all lights up. Yeah, um, my wife betrayed me. I don't really trust women anymore. And unfortunately, my daughter, it's a woman. So that's that's not her fault. Uh, it's just, whew, I got to go. <laughs> uh, now, what's after this... Um, David Warner scene. It's the Randy death. Is that? I think. Oh, so. oh, oh! Just again, when she breaks up with Derek after he sung to her, it's just some weird zigzagging stuff. Yeah, that's that just can't. not fleshed out very well. And like I said, it usually goes unnoticed. But when I watched it right next to Scream, and every Sydney and Billy scene has like such purpose. Yeah. And and I'm not even doing this as like a screenwriting wonk. I just mean it's like there's interesting stuff going on in the scene. Like yeah. when she breaks up with him here, I'm kind of like, oh, I'm confused because he just sang to you. But if that didn't work, then why did that happen? And Yeah, it's weird. Um. Uh. The normally I don't like the ghost face talky stuff. He surprisingly doesn't say that much scary stuff. But when he says knife scraping the bone beneath, that was good. Yeah, it's very good. Do you think that was Mrs. Loomis or Mickey? That was Mrs. Loomis. She knew what to say. Uh, And then this pretty cool Hitchcocky suspense scene of trying to find somebody on a phone in the park. Yeah, that was good. Um, I also thought with that, there was some good cordless scene suspense, cordless phones to see in suspense with CC And that uh, uh, old school caller ID. I had that exact one. In you the, did? Yeah. Would per- so people's weird. names come up too? Yeah. And that like diddle, LCD, digital. Yeah. I thought the name thing was always a little bit of fantasy in movies. I didn't know it could really do that. But it did I clearly think for you. So no, well, no, no. Maybe no, I'm Mandela affecting it. You're though. not. Maybe you're not. You're not. Like I, it did exist. I'm just saying when I was saw it as a, I always because I didn't know anybody with that. I was always like <laughs> Hollywood again. Uh, <laughs> it can only be Hollywood. I've Old never sci-fi. seen it. Yeah, yeah. yeah. <laughs> um, the uh, and then Randy's death, which we talked about um Randy, the, he he took over i felt like he thought like i need to carry the mantle of matthew lillard in this movie and be a notch up and have that wacky kind of yeah nobody's cranked thing. up as any of them in those first that first movie even yeah. mickey doesn't get that cranked up at the end with oliphant no there's one line delivery i forget what it was where he's like squeaking like this and it was really funny it's funny to see Timothy Oliphant emote that much because he's Be-ham. so reserved. Yeah. And he totally went by me in this movie. Like when I saw him in Go, I didn't know two years later or whatever. I didn't know him as the um, Scream 2 guy. Oh, yeah. I was like, oh, this is the first time I'm seeing this actor. And yeah. we, all my friends talked about him afterward. Like, who was that guy in the Santa hat in Go? He was so I've awesome. I've never seen Go. He's incredible in that scene. And it's funny that in Scream 2, 
Yeah, I mean, nothing against him. It's just like, I remember in the theater when he popped up as the killer going, oh, oh yeah, him. Yeah. Like, he just didn't make it enough of an impression on me as no, an actor. I think that's true. He's just this, like, sidekick guy. But I did think when she steps out, and she can't step out of her house to get help because she has a cordless phone and it could lose service. Mm -hmm. I did think like, and because horror movies just weren't as popular during the age of cordless mm. or, or masked killer movies weren't as popular, the cordless phone got really unexploited as a device for suspense movies. I know. It'd be fun <laughs> to do a period movie where you have to deal with that. Uh, yeah, yeah. Uh, or like when you, you'd be on a cordless phone and then someone would start the microwave and the phone would get like staticky and crackly. Yes. Yeah, 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 yeah. Uh, well, maybe a period movie should just be entirely based on that. Like, uh, yeah. or be a period movie just so you could do those kooky yeah. things. Um, the other person who really stood out, and this is kind of when he takes over like the next 15 minutes, is Liev Schreiber yeah. as Cotton. Yeah, And I think I said this to the first one, when I was watching Scream 2, he's so blinking, you miss him. I was kind of like astounded at what a good actor. He's great in this, I know. And I feel like scenes go on a little bit longer than they should, or if it wasn't as good of an actor or performance, it would it like that interrogation scene in the police station. If it was by a bad actor, they yeah. would try to find a way to keep that like short. Yes. But they like, he gets every moment to play. He's so good. Same with the ending, because I think if they were to simplify it, they would have just made him a good guy in the ending and help her, which I, in a way, I could see wanting. But he's still like, he's going to help her, but he's got his own. They know agenda. he's good enough to pull off the complexity of that. Is he in the third one? Yes. Oh, good. Yeah. Um, yeah. And he's, he's great in it too. Um, yeah, so did they just luck out by casting him as Cotton in the first one and then I don't know, was he had he done much before? I think he was like a Broadway guy, right? Oh, New York theater that makes dude. Sense. But um Um and then I also love just like the um Who Dud It mind games that kind of go on when you watch a movie like this where now they've pushed Cotton to be the killer so much, you know it can't be yeah, him. Right. That's like Same I with love Derek. that stuff. Yeah, 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 yeah. It's so fun. Yeah. Same with Derek. Right, right. They've they've played that card too much. Like red herring's a red herring, but uh yeah, would um I think I actually wanted Randy to be the killer more than anything for some reason. Well, the fact that Mickey is this movie mad killer. You do kind of go, why couldn't it have just been Randy? And yeah. Mrs. Loomis contacted Randy because she knew he was a little nutty. Yeah. And like he can't get the girl. Yeah. You know, yeah. Yeah. And then, right, his it, it, incel. <laughs> you would have been yeah. like, yeah. Yeah. Uh, this Joker guy who just fan. spent watching movies and thought the movie was supposed to go his way is like yeah. an interesting way. Yeah. Um, and I feel like that might be something a little bit in Scream 4. This kind of like mm. who gets to be in charge of the their story sort of stuff. Yeah, but, I think that's um, kind of what Fade to Black is about too. The guy wants oh. the starlet, and he, yeah, I don't know. I see. Um, the uh, did you notice when uh, Joel leaves? 
the cab driver has a neck brace. No. <laughs> How funny. It's weird. Uh, really, my uh, when Gail and Dewey have like one more scene again interacting with Mrs. Loomis. It's just, it just, I, it feels like. I don't like get what's going on. Hey, yeah. we know what you guys want. You've read all the tabloids. Here you go. Yeah. We turned on and, the camera and let them go. Because then it goes into them watching those videos and they start to have sex in the yeah, it's, it's it's the final night. A weird kind of real life fan service or something. <laughs> yeah. Like, we know how much you want to just <laughs> see these two do the horizontal limbo. What would it limbo, be like? Sorry, to, not limbo. I thought the limbo you were was already Lombata. horizontal. <laughs> we know you want to see what it looks like when a hot girl and a geek really go at it. <laughs> Everybody's fantasy. Uh, actually, only twenty-two percent of the audience's fantasy. <laughs> uh, <laughs> um, the uh, uh, yeah, and then she says, "You're cute when you're angry," which that's as bad as the. Shitty dialogue Kevin Williamson is spoofing in the stab stuff. Yeah. Gripe over after this. I think I have nothing but kind things to say. But um, I like the score when Sydney's being chased down the hallway and that whole sequence. Just some really great cat and mouse. Mm. Um, and then, yeah, keeping the thing up of media and stuff alive with the soundproof glass and the microphone being able used to communicate. That's all really great. Yeah, that was cool. Um, uh, I'm not, it doesn't bother me when I watch the movie or anything, but Cindy kind of disappears in this stuff though. There's a big hunk of, yeah, they got a lot of characters going on this time. Yeah. Um, but once it does go back to, um, Sydney, I did think Randy was dead because, or I thought Dewey was dead because Randy was dead. Yeah. And then... They get in this cop car, and I love this cop car sequence. Oh, yeah. In fact, let's do a stream break, and we can- Perfect. Take the top car. All right. Top tar. What? We'll be back. Top top car. <laughs> With Molly and Rast. With Molly and Rast. Top car, cop tar. Top of the card to you, son. How about this, huh? What a cool sequence. It's Yeah, it's maybe the best in the movie. Yeah. Probably. Yeah. 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 Sitting in the theater, it was really electric. People oh, were that. going crazy. And what's so, I think, amazing about the scene is like, it's just what's great about horror. It's like, it's scary. It's gross because that guy's got like a pipe through his head. Yeah. And uh, very suspenseful, funny. Like there's some, and the way they keep ratcheting up the tension is like so amazing. Like so good. Having to go from the back seat to the front seat, then crawl over the guy, then have the friend crawl over her, then get away, decide to go back. It's oh, so and, impressive. And we know that this is Mickey in there because he has the head wound in the oh, last scene. Oh, never noticed that. That's great. Yeah. Love that. Um, and yeah, what when you were watching, is your thought process like, I guess this person's either dead or playing possum or 
will come to, right? Yeah, I, I, no way I thought they were dead. I thought, yeah, yeah. And then what a misdirect there at the end with her going back, him be gone, and then somehow the friend getting hurt pulled off. I know. It kind of a little bit of a Halloween ending twist there. Yes. Uh, Mickey moved fast there. I, I guess know. he shuffled by real quick. Yeah. Um, that's also um, shot in Pasadena, just off Colorado. That whole section. Where? Um, it's funny. It's close by my uh, therapist. Oh, I gotta look this up. And I I watched um, Scream Two one night before a therapy session, and I noticed. Uh, I was like. This intersection's really familiar to me. Oh, oh it's near Fair Oaks. Yeah. Let me see. Um, and uh, hey, we talked about it. We talked about what that meant to have a <laughs> scene two or a, a scene from Scream Two. Yeah. Okay. Hold on. Do you I'm, recognize it? Where it's at? Well, I haven't pulled it up here. Let's see. Uh, Oh, and the sorority house is in Altadena. That's oh. funny because all the college stuff is in Georgia. Really? Yeah. Oh my god, that, the, I thought that was like UCLA or it looked like the yeah. Delta Lambda House is on Grand Avenue in Pasadena. Um. Okay, let's see. The car crash scene is Green Street in between South Los Robles and Madison Avenue, Pasadena. Okay, I know mm-hmm. basically where that is. I can't speaks- picture what it looks like, but Green Street's beautiful. Yeah. I uh, mean, there's a reason they chose it because it looks so like middle America, tree-lined streets. Yeah. It, it, it speaks to the power of the suspense of that scene that you don't question. There's no other cars driving by or no passerby in I this know. college town. Because there's no like <laughs> – well, they have construction stuff up too. That's yeah. why I didn't recognize where it was, I think. Huh. Oh, 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 right. You always got to have that some of that traffic stuff to, to crash into. Yeah. Um, oh, one other thing just about that Randy death. Um, just the, the thing plot-wise that's disappointing, we know. But like also like the actual death. If his whole thing is that he's like meta, I get that they're trying to go for it, that he gets pulled into like a van with like media inside it. And like when he dies and gets stabbed, there's a shot of a TV in the mirror while he gets stabbed, but you got to do better than that. That's not like the rich commentary I expect from. No, I know it was a little phoned in and it was interesting that they, the kind of like commentary in this film is less about the meta stuff of horror, but more like what violence really does to people, you know, like that debate. Yeah. Yeah. Well, in that last scene here, when Mickey gets, when he reveals himself, part of the tactic was this thing that um, he'll say, violence in movies made me do this. The moral majority or the Christian coalition will pay his legal fees and Bob Dole will go on the stand. I mean, that's a real gamble. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, he's really rolling the dice there on that one. Um. It did make me think a little bit like it's something I I remember when, like when Joker came out. Yeah. I heard more people on the left 
getting upset about Joker than people on the right and then going like, oh, uh, I remember when I was a kid, the annoying people who told you you shouldn't go see a violent movie or that a movie could have effects on people were the was the Christian coalition and the right. Right. And then look, uh, I roll my eyes when standups talk about how they're getting censored because I go like, well, it's your name. This is entirely your thoughts and voice. So it's hard for people to delineate what is what, what is fiction. Dave Chappelle seems like he's saying Dave Chappelle's brain. Right. I get a little, I don't like it when people are like, this movie seems to exhibit anti something. So you got, you can't watch this movie. And it did make me, when I heard that in Scream 2, it made me nostalgic for a time when I was like, oh yeah, Bob Dole and the Christian Coalition. Those were the people who were like, had got so upset about the apparent effects culture can have on people. Yeah, yeah. Which I don't think there's that much effect. I think art is cool because you can go down roads you might not normally... Again, I reserve this for like art and not, hey, Joe Rogan should be able to say what he wants or something. I don't mean it that way. It's just like. Well, at the very least. Maybe no that's what freedom art. of speech, though, is. I, I Everybody gets a voice. Yeah, I can't I choose. Yeah. I'm being a snob, maybe. No. But what were you going to say? I don't know. Nothing. Yeah. Nothing of any. Yeah. Uh, uh, like good sense. I'm an idiot. <laughs> Yay, you're one of the smartest people I know, man. No way, uh, man. This guy? I've lost all sense of brains lately. Well, this last reveal here, I I could see how people would be t- disappointed by Mickey, but I think it's a little bit of misdirect so that Mrs. Loomis can come in and really surprise you. Yeah. And definitely. it does require two people, and... Oh, my God. As a lover of the Friday the 13th movies, I love a Mrs. Voorhees part two coming to Avengers. I didn't Avengers even put that together. Yeah, I didn't even. And her her performance is so Mrs. Voorhees. It's like yeah. wild eyed. I, I mean, I love She's Lori, Lori Metcalf yeah. so much. So to get to see her in a slasher movie playing a killer, it forgives any of the kind of like, oh, this seems more like an action movie. They got guns and they're shooting each other. This isn't really horror. But I forgive it all because I'm getting to see yeah. her play a psycho. Yeah, it's I so agree. so good. That's what I was saying earlier about the twist is uh, let's just get through the twist and then have some fun with now what we know what the whole like, yeah. resolution is going to be. And both films do that. They have a lot of fun with ultimately. I just don't know that there is such a thing as a a good reveal of a whodunit because – that whole thing of like the butler did it. That was the old line. And that was like the, I think probably from the first ever who done it, you would <laughs> never expect the butler. And so yeah. since the butler did it, there's never been a way to surprise someone. Can you think of any who done it that is actually like twisted? I guess I kind of like the one in Dead Again. I brought that one up last time, but <laughs> well, uh, speaking of your man uh, Brana, uh, I didn't see the remake of Murder on the Orient Express, but I watched the one with Albert Finney, yeah. and that got me. 
I, I've never seen the original and I saw the Kenneth Branagh one and I really loved looking at that film and I enjoyed watching it, but the reveal didn't. I wonder, I should watch the other one. I wonder if it would feel better. Well, just in the category of it surprised me. Really? Yeah. Yeah. Like a whodunit with, but. But you could see Agatha Christie already in that one having to turn a whodunit on, You're its, right. on its head. Exactly. To You're subvert right. expectations. But that's good. I mean, she probably worked. No, that's totally what it is, though. You're, it, it demonstrates your point, which is like you can't do – that had to reinvent things in order to make a whodunit interesting. You know what? Maybe the most successful whodunit of all time, Sleepaway Camp. <laughs> Truly. Yeah. <laughs> and that's just like a whodunit because they want to get to that ending, I think. Exactly. Like they were like – yeah. They're only making a whodunit so they could get to that. So it's so funny that, that it's like successful because of that reason. It's not even that the <laughs> twist is so shocking. It's the way the twist is revealed that you just don't even care about what the twist is. You're just like, what? I did yes. not see that coming. <laughs> oh, my God. Uh, the um, Sid uh, has some really great stuff in this, too. Like... Um, I love that she puts the screws to Mrs. Loomis and said, Hey, you abandoned Billy. Yeah. You can see like the rage or confusion, like in Mrs. Loomis's eyes that she has to like, or the hurt yeah. that she has to like process that. And then Sid does have a good acting future, I think, because when she has to trick uh, Mrs. Loomis by saying, isn't Billy supposed to be dead? Mm. Or uh, oh, yeah. is it, Mickey? isn't um, Mickey supposed to be yeah. dead? She turns around and like, Hey, you yeah. got the part. Yeah. That's good acting. Yeah. Um, also just, I don't think this was intentional, but there is something funny about like Lori Metcalf of the Steppenwolf theater. Like she's a known theater actor that she's just getting terrorized by theater tech. I know. And like styrofoam bricks. <laughs> Yeah, like fake thunder and lightning. <laughs> um, she has a great uh, line reading to uh, uh, Laurie Metcalf to Cotton. That's so Aunt Jackie. It goes, <laughs> <laughs> she sent you to prison for a year. <laughs> um, uh, that's, um, yeah, Mickey... I wish there was more commenting like on sequels. That's just like he has sort of a pop culture related thing, but it's not really about maybe it doesn't have to be about sequels, but it's not even really about movies or how tropes work. Well, he was also making that documentary, which I thought was going to factor into it more. Like his motivation was to make a documentary or a real type of movie of a killing or something like that you know oh almost like a yeah like a peeping tom thing like he's making he's constructing a movie out of the yeah like a proto blair witch or something you know? yeah um and then uh oh oh i also love um sorry just jumping over the the sydney line where she goes you forgot one thing about billy i fucking killed him oh yeah when, that's so cool. That's a great line. Yeah. And it's funny that they shoot her again, even though she's dead. <laughs> oh, in her head. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, they're shooting everybody. They kind of even do this like bad Tarantino, like double shooting, like Gail and Sid together, blasting That's Mickey another away. thing that feels tacked on. Like we got to give 
Gail more screen time and be part of the resolution and stuff where before she was like herself, almost like the Greek chorus, just kind of coming into commentary. You're right. And she even gets the, like at the end moment of like a kind of a reprisal of the last ending for her where it's like, no, I'm not going on camera. I'm going to, well, no, I guess the first one, she went on camera. This one, she's hopping into the back of an ambulance. Yes. With Dewey. Uh, and she gets With shot Dewey. Oh, and Dewey. <laughs> Lori Metcalf. Oh, she was uh, in the cast of SNL. She was? She only appeared in one sketch and like one pre-tape thing. And she was in the cast for like two episodes before it got revamped in like 1980. Really? But yeah, she's technically a, wow. a SNL cast member, oh alumni. God. That's funny. Um, and then yeah, Cotton comes back. Uh, I don't like the last line with Cotton saying like, "Well, who knows? It'd make a hell of a movie." Because like, yeah, that's what Stab was. Yeah, like that's not particularly clever. Yeah, this could have uh, been a, a probably like one of the greatest sequels of all time if it had one more. I think draft you know yeah i think you're right man if it, 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 it if it been allowed to like marinate for maybe yeah. like six more months to a year right because then you could come up with something really clever that is a commentary on how sequels are open-ended because this sequel the the ending of this is kind of like a bit of a fizzle yeah it's kind of like her walking away while well, some uplifting 90s alt-rock plays, yeah. like, at a helicopter shot. I know. This girl We're, can't... She lost her boyfriend. Her dad has yeah. never spoken to her since. <laughs> yeah, what's he up to? <laughs> uh, and then, yeah, the the credits come back with that, that sweet 90s font. There it is. Well, mm-hmm. do you want to do Best Kill? Uh, Yeah. Oh, did you stay for the credits at the point where, like most horror movies, it started doing shots of the cast I with did. their names yeah, the with cr- a punk oh. cover of David Cassidy? Yeah. It, uh, I don't know what's going on there. It made me go like, oh, these movies are about having fun. Yeah. Like, oh, they yeah. don't want you leaving the theater. Like, they want you to be like, yeah, all my favorite people. And yeah. And they punk take covers. so many songs through the credits. The songs don't even finish. So it just feels like Miramax going, we need to sell soundtrack. We need to keep butts in seats. Do the kind of like roll call cast curtain call yes. or whatever. Yeah. Oh my God. The cranking, pushing in every song so it can be included on the soundtrack. I know. A genius move. <laughs> Okay, yeah, so best kill. Boy, ah, jeez. Hmm. I uh, I guess unless I'm forgetting one, I might go Derek just for the squib work. <laughs> <laughs> That's great. Mickey, yeah, Mickey shoots uh, Derek. Yeah, what are you going to uh, do? Um the death itself isn't like the a kill to remember, but it's the punctuation mark of uh the car sequence, the the trapped in the police oh, car. So I'll yeah. say that's, Haley's death. That's pretty good. Um, it's not gory, but I guess it's like a s- surprise. Yeah, that's good. That's very good. 
And what would you like to give this out of 13? We both, uh, we gave Scream, you gave it a 13 out of 13. I gave it a 10. Yeah. I'm going to mm. go, I'm going to go nine for this guy. Cool. I'm going to go 11. 11. That makes sense. All right. Now I might have to change that when I watch the other sequels. Maybe I know I could I see my more. Scream 1 going up a little bit. Like I said, I think we in hindsight. Can you make that 11 and a half, buddy? Yeah, I sure can. It's not too okay. late. Thank you, thank you. Before the cement hardens. Yeah, I mean, this stuff gets rat. <laughs> what we do is we ratify these scores at midnight every night after we do them. So just so you know, Paul, you have the full day whenever we record these. If you want to text me, you can change it before I <laughs> send these to the county recorder in Norwalk. Oh, good to know. Same good place to know. I change my names. <laughs> Well, good job, pal. That was uh, really yeah. fun. I really enjoyed that movie. I, I hear what you're saying about Scream 3, but I'm still really looking forward to watching it and seeing where they go. Yeah, and uh, look, hey, uh, Scream 3 is still better than most movies, mm. man. Don't don't let my uh, rain on that parade too much. I'm excited, too, for us both to experience Scream 5 fresh together. eyes together. Yes, yeah. yes. Yeah. No, I, uh, I thought that with... Um, uh, Halloween. Or I did think when I was talking about my feelings about the ones, I did think like maybe I shouldn't be doing that for listeners who are listening for the first time. Don't want to predispose with opinion, but for people who listen to the watched Scream before, I know I always want to hear people's Scream rankings. Yeah, Scream rankings. <laughs> <laughs> uh, well, what are you going to be doing until we tackle Scream Three? It's it's a a longer uh, Paul, it won't, people won't know, listeners won't notice. Yeah. But for us. Because we've recorded ahead a little bit here. Well, it's time to tune in and turn out for the holidays. It's going to rain here for a week. So it's going to be cozy town. I mean, fortunately, some family plans have been canceled due to COVID reasons. And, but what the, you know, silver lining of that is me and the little ladies, meaning the cat and the girl, we're all just going to get cozy as. I mean, probably the coziest we could possibly get and just hunker down. What about you? Yeah, I uh, had some disappointing uh, change of plans where we couldn't see family um, because of uh, just being precautious. Yeah, same. Uh, so it's disappointing that I can't be with extended family members and family members who I love so much. Uh, but it will be a cozy holiday for me too in this uh rainy la and when you said with your three girls that i knew that we had a wife and daughter but we also both have a female pet that's right we do we each have two daughters or a daughter and a half yeah so uh judy and margo yeah. one's a dog one's a cat but <laughs> i think that still counts uh, uh but yeah i'm i'm looking forward to to spending some Chill, cozy times. Me too. I wish you the yeah. very best of holiday warmth yes. and happiness with you and yours. And it, I am very thankful that the year we've been able to do this in, especially oh, in these too. COVID times. And me too. Looking forward too. to getting to Scream Three in the yeah new year. yeah. It was it was funny. Um, at the end of our commentary, you chose um the next movie we're gonna do, uh-huh. and we were sort of talking about how that would work with scheduling like the rest of the pod. Yeah. 
And um, when we, we were sort of like, well, to do it that way, the podcast would have to go like 13 more years. And I was like, uh-huh. uh-huh yeah. It made me feel a little bit like um, uh, uh, <laughs> previously on, we talked about Eyes Wide Shut, uh-huh. but it did seem like the toy shop scene where I was like, forever? Yeah. <laughs> well, to do that, I would have to get down on one knee and propose. Po- podcast <laughs> proposal. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. Here you go. no i get it much like nicole kidman uh with anything the word forever uh is it frightens her it doesn't actually except for marriage that's for me a comfort but for nicole same and for this podcast uh, it does not frighten me my friend oh good good same it puts wind in my sails yes and under my wings oh did i ever (laughs) tell you you're my hero (laughs) <laughs> my wife uh leslie she's got a really good point about that song that that song's kind of like fuck you <laughs> oh thanks <laughs> wait i was the wind beneath your wings yeah it is a little like uh it's an 80s song to be sure it's kind of like thank you for making me so awesome yeah <laughs> But uh, I could have to listen to that again. I got I need yeah. to with those fresh eyes. Not and it's not the person being told that when beneath the wings who's saying fuck you. It's as if Bette Midler is saying to her friend, "Fuck you, you're the wind beneath my wings." It's like <laughs> I'm flying. Huh? You're just the yeah. wind. I'm using you. I'm standing on top of you. <laughs> uh, but yeah, we'll discuss beaches at another. Time. Oh yeah, we'll get into that. Mm-hmm. That's when we do our Frank. Uh, not Frank. Uh, uh, um. Gary Marshall. Oh, yeah. Or Gary Marshall. It's switch. on the list. We're, we're doing it. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. All right. Happy holidays, my friend, and happy holidays happy- to all you listeners. I hope you enjoyed the draft episode, which I forget when this comes out. It's probably already out, but it'll be out on the 28th. Yeah. And happy soon to be New Year. Yeah. This, for for uh, the trustees, this comes out uh, New Year's Eve. I think you're right. Yeah. Oh, so, so the draft episode will be out. Oh, great. So, uh, happy New Year's Eve. And then for people uh, listening post a Patreon, uh, happy New Year. Yeah. And I'm sure you're listening to this New Year's Eve. So, let's, it's probably about <laughs> 10 seconds to midnight right now. So, Paul, should we count ourselves out? <laughs> yes. 10, 9, nine eight, 8, 7, 6, six 5, five four, 4, 3, three two, 2, 1, Happy New Year! Should old acquaintance be forgotten See you next Lola. year. Oh, wait, it See is next, next year. year. Oh. Because we just counted it in. Oh, like we're being like the funny teachers who at the end of Christmas Eve or before Christmas yeah. break, they go, See you next year. I keep writing 2021 on my podcast checks. <laughs> Bye. Bye bye. For more Gorley and Rust content, head over to patreon.com slash with Gorley and Rust to get episodes ad free and a whole week early. Plus, monthly mailbag episodes and feature-length watch-along film commentaries of your favorite horror classics. That's patreon.com slash with Gorley and Rust. 
Email us at withgorleyandrust at gmail.com and your questions might be featured on a future mailbag episode. With Gorley and Rust theme song by me, Matt Wood, and performed by Townland. You can find us on Instagram as Townland Band, as well as Paul's fantastic band at Don't Stop or We'll Die. And why not rate and review with Gorley and Rust on Apple Podcasts? It'll help us grow the show and keep us trucking through the Jasons and the Michaels, the Leatherfaces and the Chuckies, the Aliens and the Candymans. Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quince. Quince has all the jet-setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen, premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more. And is all priced at 50% to 80% less than similar brands. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com pack for free shipping and 365-day returns. Imagine the softest sheets you've ever felt. Now imagine them getting even softer over time. That's what you'll feel with Bowling Branch's organic cotton sheets. In a recent customer survey, 96% replied that Bowling Branch sheets get softer with every wash. Start getting your best night's sleep in these sheets that get softer and softer for years to come. Try their sheets with a 30-night guarantee. Plus, get 15% off your first order at BowlingBranch.com. Code BUTTERY. Exclusions apply. See site for details.